Hey there, folks. Before we start today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can check out my daily sports column. It's free by going to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. You can just check out my Twitter to find the link there. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. There's a link on that page. Uh, But yeah, go check it out every day. New sports story in your email inbox. Uh, Yeah, go tell a friend, share it out, send it to anyone else you think would uh, like the newsletter. But yes, every single day, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just Google Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas, whatever you're most comfortable with, go do that. Uh, If you are an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and review. Uh, It's important uh, to help the show continue to grow. And last thing, uh, very quickly, but uh, please email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com to uh, get your mailbag question in or any other questions that you might have about the show, about the column, anything like that. Uh, new mailbag columns go up every Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for the weekly shows that you would like us to answer on air, whether it's John Taylor on Wednesdays, Evan Swords on Mondays, the sports reporters on Fridays, uh, make sure to get those questions in and we'll read them on the show or I'll answer your questions in the mailbag on the newsletter. So Go do that. Uh, again, that's chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave the show a five-star rating and review. Follow on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, I think that's it. All right. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. The Monday edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast rolls along where I am now joined by someone I have been reading for years. He's one of my favorite sports writers around. It's Tim Kawakami of The Athletic. Tim, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for that very nice introduction. Chase Thomas, someone I, I've written a little bit about myself, I believe, over the years. So oh, the Stanford Chase Thomas. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes. Another Chase Thomas, maybe, but that's all good. He's actually from Georgia, too, which is weird. He actually went to a he high did. school like 30 minutes from me where I grew up. But um, you know what's cool is he may be an NFL player. But if you Google Chase Thomas, yeah. guess who comes up first? You get both. You get you? It's that's me. That's yeah. That's tremendous. That's yeah. tremendous. I love it. I love what's it. What's going on? Yeah, People yeah. just prefer podcasters over... Uh, ex-linebackers. People forget. Um, Names are out there. You you make your own name, you make your own business. It's all good. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to start. I know it's football season. I have some Trey Lance and Derek Carr stuff that we're going to get to, but I wanted to start, Tim, with the Warriors, team that you also cover. I've spent a lot of time covering over the years. Um, What's interesting to me, I'm already excited about the NBA season coming up, but like I am thinking, like, with Kaminga, with Moses Moody, with Wiseman coming back at some point, with this interesting dichotomy between the Warriors and Bob Myers trying to thread the the all-too-difficult needle of rebuilding and retooling at the same time. And you look at the Vegas title odds, and you look at just what Steph did last year, like... Do you have any idea what you what to make of this Warriors team going to this year? Do you do you see them as a team scrapping for a playoff spot in a loaded West, or do you see them as contenders? Do you see this being an easy thing to acclimate all these young guys with the likes of Draymond, Clay, and Steph? Like, what what do you make of this group now? Well, it's really obvious, and I've written it, but it is the just 
existential truth of this team. We don't know until Clay Thompson is back. You don't know until Clay Thompson has played 20 games, really, uh, because it's going to take some time for him to obviously to get up to full speed after missing not just one year, but two full years with two different leg injuries. Uh, you don't know. Bob Myers has said that. They said, you don't know, so they know when and if they have the full go play. And maybe that's February. Maybe that's April for the playoffs. Maybe it's not till next season. Really hard to tell uh, who they are, how the mix fits, who they can challenge. If they've got Clay Thompson at full go at some point this season, there's not a lot of teams that are going to want to play them. I'm not saying they'd be the favorites. Certainly would say Phoenix, Jazz, and the Lakers would be ahead of them. But I don't think any of those teams would really love playing the Warriors in a seven-game series. And, you know, this is a Warriors team that didn't have Clay. It didn't have a lot going down the backstretch last season. It was certainly the easier part of the season. But they go 15-5 and five with Steph just going thermonuclear. Uh, Draymond playing better, playing, you know, playing with very high energy, kind of scrapping it with the other players, piecing it together. And they played a hell of a play-in game, I guess. It's not a playoff game, play-in game against the Lakers, lose, but that was a hell of a game. And they came out of that thinking, we can play these guys. Who knows how the mixes will go, and who knows you know, what Kaminga can give them the first season, what Moody can give them the first season, what else they still might do. I think they are still lacking two players. I don't know if they're closed up shop for a free agency or not, but if you look at their roster, they can use a third center, especially with Wiseman not going to be, you know, participating in anything this offseason after the knee surgery. Not for sure that he's going to be all the way back. And they could use an initiator on offense. Uh, and that might cost them more than they're willing to pay. Who knows? We'll see. But it all makes more sense when you know what Clay is. And you can't know what Clay is. They can't know what Clay is. Clay can't know what Clay is until he's on the floor, cutting, moving, jumping, trying to defend and obviously shooting three. He figured the threes will be the fastest thing that comes back. And obviously, he's really important, but that's not the entirety of the value for Thompson. It's that he can defend people. It's that he's a big, big wing uh, who fits just perfectly with Steph Curry and Jamal Green. We've seen what's happened the last few seasons when he hasn't been there. They have not been very good. Uh, we shall, you know, everyone will know five games into the Clay comeback, it's not going to be from game one. They pretty much said that. It's going to be, you know, whenever it is, December, January. And then five games into it, you can say, okay, this guy's going to be back full go by the playoffs probably, or you can say he's not probably going to be back full go by the playoffs. Everything else is riding on that. And if he's not all the way back, they're not a, they're not a championship contender. It might be, a, you know, 60, 70, but wouldn't look great for them to go like go win the Phoenix and, and win a game five. You know, I don't. I wouldn't feel they would be too confident in that if they never go full go Clay Thompson. It's all riding on Clay. So even if it is all riding on Clay, do you think that they really do believe that they can acclimate and get like make the timelines work with these young guys along with their elder statesmen, or do you think Bob Meyer still is looking at the bigger fish and waiting it out and trying to see what he can do in the development front with these guys? And then um, if things work out and they're all meshing well, that um, they can do the thing where they move a lot of contracts and move the Porters and the Wiggins along with the young guys that are popping for, for the, the guys who or for a guy that matches more um, on the timeline of clay, Steph and Draymond. 
Yeah, if you read really me now, I'm big on optionality. You give yourself a chance for it to work out one way, and if it doesn't work out that way, you give your chance mm-hmm. that it works out another way. And I think Joe Lacob has been very vocal in an interview with Anthony Slater after draft, interview with me before that. He'd like it to go to the young guys. I mean, he, he'd like, he, he's paying a lot of money to, to Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Andrew Wiggins. $139 million next season. That's over... It's over the set cap. That's over the luxury tax. That's the, these are humongous contracts. Just those four. He would like it for those four, and then add in James Wiseman, who we've not mentioned yet, and then see what you can get out of Kaminga and Moody. They're very happy with those picks. They're they're, they're very happy with James Wiseman. Maybe the rest of the league isn't, but they are. And I understand what you're saying. There's a, there's a lot there to like. There's also been a lot there to to wonder when he's going to get into you know, any kind of competitive level to be able to play with Steph Curry and Jamal Green, but they're going to try to do it that way, and if it, something else comes up, if, if a great trade comes up, Bradley Beal is kind of the, I said, he's, there's a slight scale. Would you do it all for Pascal Siakam? I kind of would. I don't think they would. Would you do it all for Ben Simmons? No. Would you do it all for Bradley Beal? <laughs> I think then they're going to have to really look at it. Uh, it, it depends. It, what what being asked, what, is it is it the whole kit and caboodle? Can they pull Wiseman out of it? Can they pull Kaminga out of it? I think it will be a, it's just a sliding scale of value. And by the way, the better Kaminga looks in summer league or whatever, and he looked pretty good in his first game. We'll we'll see, obviously, just summer league. But the better he looks, the more prepared he looks to play, the more valuable he's going to be in a trade. Also, the less likely the Warriors are going to want to give him up. You know, mm-hmm. things change, and it's not all the same. It's not all linear. It's all not not like one or the other. Things move in different degrees at different times. I think the likeliest situation is that they hold on to everybody for this season because people want Wiseman at the lower end of his value. The Warriors have value him very highly. People don't have a Wiggins contract as being heavily. It's a negative value in the NBA. The Warriors are paying him. So they don't want negative value. He, he, he gives them stuff that accepts the contract. They don't want to just say, okay, if you if Wiggins is in this deal because you have to be in this deal to make the money balance, then you have to throw in two ones. Like, they don't want to do that. So the, the likeliest scenario, I'm not saying it's the only scenario, the likeliest scenario is they, they see what they got with these young players. Uh, maybe one more season of Wiseman not looking good would change that dynamic, of course. Then one more season of why he's not looking at he's not very tradable. These are all these things that are out there, these, all these percentages. Again, the, the most likely is that they go with these guys and they're hoping Kaminga and Moody and Wiseman, especially Wiseman, gives them something this season. And you give yourself depth. They are much deeper teams this season than they were last year. There is no question about it. Uh, and, you know, Michael Mulder was getting rotation minutes for much mm. of the season. Michael Mulder is not, is not going to make this team. Uh, you know, that there are various other things happening out there that would not have, last season, that would not, that are, is not likely to happen in this team. Injury rush, you know, who knows? But Smiley Geach and Clay Thompson took up two roster spots the entire season, two of 15 that were unplayable spots, one by injury, one by not being talented enough. They will have 15 roster spots, barring some, you know, you could always have another season and an injury, but it's likely that they will have 15 usable players, which just makes you deeper. Any ads they make at this point, and I've trumpeted maybe Dennis Schroeder, if he's going to be out there, if he's just sitting there, yeah, about an offensive initiator, and he's crazy and doesn't fit their style, but you can kind of morph him into your style. 
give it a shot. Obviously, I'm not paying tax bill, right. but I could see that. And then, by the way, then if you're adding the intruder, maybe you're losing somebody who played a lot last week. I mean, it's a Damian Lee. You know, it's that's just a sign of depth. That's not you know they're not desperate for rosters for, for players this season. They're more got the roster crunch. And that's a good thing for the team that had some serious issues with that last season. Playing some guys that they would not normally play. This is while losing Kelly Oubre, but I've kind of been on the leading edge of saying he really wasn't that great for them. Does a lot of interesting things, can dunk the ball, play some hard nose on the ball defense, but and in every other way did not fit with the Warriors. Losing him, even losing the salary spot, which I know Warriors fans were sensitive to, but you're talking about a salary spot that takes them, you know, $80 million higher. I mean, is, is Kelly Oubre worth $80 million? They're already way, 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 way over the tax. You don't need to keep yourself protected to get another player over the tax. They're plenty over the tax. There's going to be no dispute. They've got the highest payroll in basketball, with or without Kelly Oubre. They didn't need to preserve a salary spot just to make sure that they can go another $80 million over. So I think they're deeper. I think they can do some more things. Andre Gonzalez, you know, he's just going to be playing all over the place. That doesn't mean he's going to be playing at a high level. Are you excited to talk to him again? Say it again? Are you excited to talk to him again? Uh, Andre, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, Andre is, you know, he's, he's not always uh, the most willing talker, but he's sure smart. And I was just thinking, he, you know, two of my favorite stories I've ever written for The Athletic were Andre Iguodala Focus, who had a big part of it. Uh, you know, how they put together the Hamptons meeting and yes. Andre Iguodala's potential Hall of Fame candidacy. And it was that both in 20. 20- 2018, mm-hmm. and Andre was, that was one conversation with Andre Godala, by the way, <laughs> so I got a lot of stuff out of You don't get a lot of them with Andre sometimes, or you get him sometimes just shaking you off, Yeah, uh, but, because don't come with dumb stuff to Andre Godala, by the way. Do not do that, <laughs> unless you want to be told if you're coming with dumb stuff. But if you have sharp stuff, if it's something that, that he's thinking about, too, uh, He's wonderful. That one sit-down I had with him, I remember, it was at the start of the Houston series in 2018, which turned out to be a very, very difficult series. Mm-hmm. He was so good, so thoughtful, so, you know, had so much depth to it. Mm-hmm. You don't always get him, though. He's going to walk past you or not want to talk to you. Sometimes he just doesn't want to talk to you. He's never talked to me about golf. He loves <laughs> golf. He's obsessed with it. He refuses to talk to me about golf. So, uh... And that's just a quirk of Andre, but you know, with those really smart guys, sometimes you get that. Uh, the Steph? You get guys who just, Steph, Steph is Steph. You know, he's diplomatic, he's very mm-hmm. smart, but he's, you know, he's diplomatic and he's thoughtful, but it, sometimes it doesn't get as real as it gets with Andre. But no, Steph is True. different. Steph is, he, he, he Steph's on the Peyton front. I compare him to Peyton Manning a little bit, where yeah, that guy... Yeah is just so well versed and he knows exactly what he needs to say and what he doesn't need to say he he's good i would agree with that i would agree i'd say steph takes a few more chances than Mm -hmm. they did you know just just the speaking uh you know politically and and whatever Mm -hmm. but i agree there is a there is a peyton-esque well there's only so far you're gonna nudge Steph, Mm -hmm. and and it's understandable if steph says something you know the sports world shakes it does it just does and he gets that and he gets when he wants to do it, and he gets when he doesn't want to do it. Uh, and totally understand that. Uh, Draymond's a different yeah. character, understandably. They're all different. They're all fascinating. I mean, it was, but Draymond's so good. Draymond. I can't wait for Draymond, Draymond on the NBA yeah. 10 years from now. Yeah, he's well, going to be great. Again, he, might, he, might, 
he might he can do that. He can do tons of things. You yeah. know, I, I think he does aim for that, but he does it as a player. He, he goes on playoffs on TNT. So the the uh, horizons for Draymond are mm-hmm. not limited. I'll put it that way. Um, no question. It's funny you mentioned that too with the the Andre stuff because I remember um friend the pod gary myers formerly of si he talked about this like his book on brady versus peyton and this is topical because manning just went into the hall of fame this weekend but like i think he talked to peyton like once it's either brady or peyton he talked to once for the entirety of the book like he kept doing like it's one of those things where i don't think people understand just how hard it is to get these guys now where it's like you get like one day for an entire book like you get a couple hours but um, from the way they see it, they're like, I don't they need this. Yeah, they got their own stuff going, mm-hmm. and, and I understand that. And it's hard. You no, know, they, yeah, they, they, you have to understand their their schedules, especially the off season. You think, oh, the off season, they got all the time. Well, that's when they're busier, actually, because they're all with their family, they're attending to their business interests, they're making appearances. You got that's that's one thing. You, it's very different in the, the off season. Becomes almost like impossible to get these guys yeah and again understandable this is part of the deal this is their, their they have very very different busy lives and when they're off sometimes they, they are off like steph was in tanzania recently like i'm not calling up steph curry when he's in tanzania <laughs> he's picking up mm-hmm. uh, when he's in tanzania so then i understand that yeah i just wish he would make more time for the chase house podcast in tanzania i think that's one of the little uh, things that he could do that wasn't on his list. He didn't do that. No. I thought that was done to you. That's I thought a, so too. I mean, I the had the power. The power. I think he knows that I have a Kyrie step back three um, to win the win the finals. Uh, in my, well, then you in just guarantee office. you're not getting Steph Curry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't care. It's okay. one of my favorite all time shots. It's one of the crazy. I, I'll never forget where I was and like a falling over and everything. I'm sure you, it, it stands out to you too with the LeBron block. Yeah, it was always shot. Hell of, and it just silenced a very loud crowd. Yes, for, for quite quite perfunctory, but uh, exactly incredible shot. One of the great shots in, in, in NBA Finals history, no doubt. Um, to transition to football. Tim. So we're getting ready for football season um, tonight. Evan Swords, he's a 49er sub. We we were on every Monday night, but like he's a 49ers guy, and he is obviously like we we've been talking and talking to different um, beat writers and things like that. And it seems like there's just been this general sentiment that like this is going to be Jimmy's team for at least this year. He hasn't been healthy for the last year and a half. He had like the knee braces and everything there. There was some concern with just where he was, and now he looks healthy. But like everyone's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna go slow with Trey Lance. Like Trey Lance is going to have the training wheels on. It's likely we won't even see him before 2022, and then he's getting first team reps, and then he's <laughs> really really. Uh, just going off uh, this offseason. And then you see it pop up like, oh, Colts should call about Jimmy Garoppolo. And you're like, wow, things just move so quickly and things change just so fast in sports. And it's just like, we really need to not uh, look too much into people just being like, oh, this is or coaches or anything else just saying like, this is what we're doing. And then you're like, okay, I guess that's it. Done deal. Um, what do you make of the Trey Lance offseason and summer thus far? And do you think it's more likely than not that we see him very early in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When you say people who didn't expect him to play at all this season, that would not be me. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think Shanahan's ever, ever even implied that. He was always going to get some packages. How, they traded three first round picks for him. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to want to see him on the floor. If for nothing else, is to make sure by 2022 
when he is definitely going to be your starter, he isn't coming in with no experience. Well, I think the reason is because, like, it's impossible to, like, they're built for a Super Bowl run. Like, this is a team two years removed, and with just the the talent on defense, the talent on the offensive line, the talent out wide, even with Raheem Mustard being one of the better running backs in football, I think people just penciled in Jimmy because it's just so unlikely that a rookie quarterback is getting you to that spot that you just ride it out with Jimmy for a year. That would be wrong. Yes. I think that was an incorrect I mean, I think he's going to be the starter on his team at some point this season. I, I don't know that. I'm not guaranteeing this. And if mm-hmm. seven and zero, you know, with Garoppolo as their starting quarterback, things change. All formulas are different when you're winning versus when you're losing. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think they drafted Trey Lance to say hell he's not playing. I think they said they're going to play the best quarterback, which Shanahan said over and over again. They want to give him the best chance to win. Garoppolo is that guy right now. He might be the guy all season. He really might. But he also might get injured, which he has in, in many of his seasons with the 49ers. Or he might not be great. And if Lance is looking very good in practice, and he's looking which he has, he'll slow down a little recently, but that's what happened. He's 21 years old. He didn't have play, played one game last season in, you know, in a non-power school. But he gets his packages. He runs them well. He doesn't screw up. I think he's going to get some some starts this season. I really do. I mean, Mahomes and Alex Smith, everybody compares it to. I don't think it's an exact comparison, but Mahomes started last game of the season. For a team that I think went 12-4, and four, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, they were clearly planning for him. They're, the 49ers are planning for Trey Lance to be the starter. They made this move. Things can change, but I went into this from the get-go that he's going to play some this season. He's going to start some this season. And once he starts, he's not getting. I don't think they're going to go back to the other thing. That, that's the point I've been making is you have to be sure when you, you put the rookie in over the incumbent. You can't flip it back if you do it once. Like if you do it, that's when you that's it. And at some point, they're going to do it. I believe. Again, he might not be great in the preseason, or he might blow some specialty packages. But they're not going by this. You know, no rookies ever led his team to the Super Bowl championship thing. They're not going by that. They're going by who's going to be the best on the practice field, who's going to be the best, can translate that best to, to games. And when and if it is Trey Lance, whether it's week one or week 10, and I think it might be somewhere in between there, it's going to be Trey Lance. And it's not going to be because all these great players and we're getting to the Super Bowl. It's, hey, Jimmy's playing great. It's going to be Jimmy. And play great a lot. So I, I just. I would say find the middle ground in there, and that's probably where, where Shanahan's name. Not week one, as I said. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, that seems out of phase for where this really is going, especially with two road games to start. But you see Lance get three plays, and you see him get six plays, and it looks really good, and they, and they lose a game, the offense struggles, <laughs> might see Trey Lance week five, week six. Uh, I, I would say that's kind of what they've been looking at anyway. And that's mm-hmm. why you, there's so many kind of different kinds of messaging is because they're waiting for it. They're, it's, it's, it's fluid. There's been no set. It's just get Jimmy or it's, we got to get Trey in there. It's like, let's see, let's see what, let's see what the play tells us. And that can mean a lot of different things. I think they're convinced that Trey Lance can start in the NFL. I would be convinced of that, but is he better than Jimmy Garoppolo in week one? I don't think that is there. But it might get there. It might get there week three. But I think any blanket 
feeling that it was only going to be Jimmy if he's healthy this season, I think was incorrect. Hmm. Um, do you buy that Javon Kinlaw, Kinlaw has just been outrageous? <laughs> no, he hadn't played. He hadn't been to practice very much. So mm. Outrageous, outrageous in, in what, what, what way? Well, people are hyping him up that he is he's looking good and uh, that he is someone that is going to be a big, big factor uh, this fall. Like, that defensive line. Yeah, I like Kinlaw. I mean, I think he's, I mean, it's very hard because he's basically traded for DeForest Buckner, and he's not DeForest Buckner. Certainly, he isn't right now and may never be. But that's, you know, that's one of the best five defensive players in football. It's very tough to put that on him. I think he was fine last season, but he hadn't practiced a lot. You know, that knee swelling, which he says is not an injury, but I've been there for three practices. He has not practiced in team drills in any one of them. Uh, and I think it's most, that's been most of the practices has been the same way. So we'll see. I think he's, he could be very good. I think he might, you know, this will be a little slowing for him right away. The whole, you know, the, the entire front four hasn't practiced a lot. Obviously, you've got D4 who, you know, here, you know, obviously coming off of something that we all thought he might retire from, so it's amazing that he's back the way he is. He's not in team drills that much. Uh, Bose is not in team drills coming off the ACL. Uh, you know, Armstead's getting a lot of time off, understandably, but, you know, you haven't really seen that. Like, 2019, those guys showed up, and they were just kicking ass every practice. It was until Fork and Bosa both got hurt in training camp, and then they just started kicking ass for the rest of the season. But haven't really seen that, so I can't make that statement about Kinlaw in the training camp because I haven't seen it. He hasn't been out there much, very much. I do expect a lot out of him. But I yeah, it's all from that. Saturday, basically. Saturday, he was dominating the yeah. run and pass rush. Like he, he had a really, he had the strongest defensive outing Saturday, apparently. Was he? Yeah, uh, I was there. I didn't, I didn't see that. But again, you know, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's, a, you know, he's a huge man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is strong techniques. Great story. All the way there, yeah. But yeah, and and I think he's going to be very good. Again, we'll, we'll see on that one. But I think he's going to be very good. Okay, um, transitioning as our last point on this podcast, Tim. Um, the Raiders, your old friends, the Las Vegas mm-hmm. Raiders. Um, they go hand in hand. Tim Kawakami and the, and the Raiders. Um, are you can like where are you at with this squad? Because I think there's a real chance that they fall down to last place in the AFC West. Like when you try and pencil it in, like you're trying to figure it out. And they've been reaching for years on different guys. You have Cleveland Farrell running with the second team. I forget who else was running with the second team that they've drafted in the first round. Um, um, Damon Arnett. Yes. Damon Arnett. Second yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I think it's a problem, right? It got yes. They certainly seem to have some personnel issues or fitting the, the players with the schemes. Obviously, changed defensive schemes uh, by, you know, firing Paul Gunther and going with Gus Bradley. I understand that. Certainly, I think Gus Bradley's a very good defensive coordinator. Thought he might be a four-and-hours defensive coordinator, uh, but they had D'Amico Ryan's all set up. Um, it's not great, though. Uh, they are plugging in, and, you know, my one sign I always see is teams that don't quite have it together when you, you know this guy's the guy this guy's the guy this guy oh no, no no wait a minute no this guy's the guy this guy's the guy oh wait a minute wait this guy's now the guy it changes so much and it changes in camp and you have them finding guys you know throwing them in casey hayward's now their starting cornerback over damon arnett who was number one pick before you know, you, 
that is a sign of some amount of instability. The Raiders are historically instable. John Gruden was supposed to follow that, and I think he's a really good offensive coach. Their offense was very good last season. Their car was very good last season, but they just have never been able to put it together defensively. This goes back to, you know, defense fell apart in Jack Gabriel's final season. It's one of the reasons he got fired. Although, I don't know, they might have gone 16-0 that season, and if John Gruden was going to come, they might have fired Jack Gabriel because that's just how much Mark Davis wanted to hire John Gruden. But the defense since then has never been able to stop a team when they had to stop them. And we've seen it for sure the last two halves of the second half of the last two seasons when I think they were six and two, fall apart, six and three, fall apart. Mostly on defense, if you ask me. Uh, I wouldn't blame this on Derek Carr. I don't think Derek Carr is a great quarterback, but I think he's good. I think John Gruden calls a good game with him. Obviously, Darren Waller is one of the best players in the league, but the defense has to stop people, has to be able to stop someone. They've used so many first round and second round picks on these guys. Some of them are now playing for the 49ers, by the way. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. I don't know where it plugs in. I don't know if Gus Bradley is going to be able to do it in one year. I don't think John Gruden's in trouble with that 10-year contract that he's got. But at some point, you're just spinning your wheels, and, and, and you continue to spin your wheels because the lack of stability, lack of, like, this guy is going to build to this guy, is going to build to this guy, and there's your defense. So the 49ers did that, you know, like, going to put these linebackers together with this defensive line, and then we're going to, like, there you are. Don't quite see that with this team. Haven't seen it historically. Um, I don't think they're going to fall apart. I think the quarterback, and, you know, we'll see what the offense line. The offense line has major question marks, obviously, uh, because they break up what was the strength of their team. Mostly it sounds because John Gruden was mad that they all didn't want to take pay cuts. Well, I can understand why they don't want to take pay cuts. They're pretty good players. Uh, they are now pretty good players on other teams. So, but I think they're okay. They're not great. And if the Chargers get really good, that could be problematic for them, though, right? That's, it was a year, it was a win or two a year for the Raiders. It would be a swept by the Chargers. And then you're talking about a very difficult run to get to 11 wins. <laughs> and I think 11 wins is going to have to do it. You know, maybe 10. You know, we'll have to adjust to what a 17 game season means for what a playoff level is. Mm. But I'll say, you got to get to 11, let's just say 11. Yeah. You don't get two against them. You don't get, you know, say you lose both to the Chiefs. It's becoming pretty difficult to figure out a path to 11 wins for them. So, so we'll see. Defense. Well, with Brian Edwards becoming Randy Moss 2.0, I think the sky's the limit for this group. Okay, go ahead. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, I do, you know, and, you know, it's a contract, basically contract year for for Derek Carr, he's got two years left, but the quarterbacks rarely go in their final year uh, at his age, for sure. So we'll see. And, you know, maybe he'll be incredible in that contract year. Maybe he will not be incredible, be incredible in, the, in the contract year. We'll see. But, you know, that, it's just an unstable team. And unstable teams find ways to fall apart. And we've seen that for them, you know, in, in the last, you know, the first three years of group. And I know he's frustrated with that, and they're frustrated with that. I don't know that's changing. Yeah, I, I I don't think so either. And I think if Denver simply just starts Bridgewater and Herbert stays healthy, I don't see a way. I don't see a path for 10-plus wins for this group. I think Denver's defense is, is too way, that is one that is, that is definitely one way that is a good way to look at it because they've gotten some free wins from those two teams. God bless Philip Rivers, but I swear he was throwing for the wrong team a lot when he's throwing mm-hmm. against the Raiders. Uh, and Herbert isn't 
likely to do that. And and he could have beat him twice last season, by the way, with one jump ball in the end zone, and the Chargers beat the greatest twice. And we'll see with Denver, you know. We'll, we'll see there. But um, the division is where you, you is how you make the playoffs. I've always felt like you, you dominate your division, you get in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You get dominated in your division, you do not get in the playoffs. And they got the Chiefs there. That's a problematic one. Yeah. When you're sitting looking at the Chiefs for, for the next 10 years, it's a little problematic for the Raiders. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if the, if, the, if the Broncos get good, if they had gotten Aaron Rodgers, the my first thought was, uh-oh, John Gruden, because mm-hmm. you don't want that team having Aaron Rodgers. They might get Aaron Rodgers at some point, but they don't yeah. have him now. They've got, they've got Bridgewater and Andor, you know, God knows. But I, uh, I... The Chargers rise would also be problematic for the Raiders. I saw the Chiefs to see the Chargers. They're practicing the 49ers and will be down there next week. Um, I like them. I've always liked their talent. And then you got a great young quarterback. That, that's a team that you can say that, that, that team might jump to 12 wins. Mm-hmm. And two of them might be against the Raiders. And that would be a tough situation for the Raiders. They're looking at two really good teams in the division with great young quarterbacks. That, that's tough. You know they've struggled. Look at they've struggled the last few years with the Chargers and the Broncos way down. What happens if those teams are not way down? <laughs> then the Raiders' position gets even more tenuous. Optimism gleaming in Vegas. I think yes. we can we can agree with them. With yeah. them, yes, I'll everything's great. Um, Tim, what can we check out from you across the Athletic this week? Oh my God, the same old stuff. Uh, what am I working on? Various things. I'm not going to tip my hand on them. I, I mm. think it jinxes it. So uh, we got various things going on. Uh, coming back off the Olympics, but uh, oh, you got Andre uh, for golf chatter, don't you? Oh, there you go. There it is. Andre golf. Andre golf. Market man. Um, we'll see. No, I, I do not tip my hand on that stuff just because I think it jinxes. I have done it occasionally, and and guess what? It jinxed it. So yeah, uh, we shall not. We shall not. Do, we shall not do that. Yeah, it's like the whole thing. Don't uh, don't hype up what you're doing. Just do it, and then and then talk about it once it's out there into there into the universe. There you go. Um, there you go. Tim, thank you so much for making the time. I'm glad that we were able to make this work today. Uh, keep up the great work, sir. Stay safe out there, and uh, let's uh, let's check back in again soon. Sounds good. Kick ass on the podcast, and always good. <laughs> All right, the Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along where I am now joined by old friend Ingram Smith, Ingram of the Knollcast, a very good Florida State podcast that you should listen to if you have not already. Uh, Ingram, good evening. How are you doing? Uh, doing doing really well. And uh, appreciate you having me on. Look forward to the discussion. I imagine most of it will be centered around uh, one Robert Klepler Bowden, but uh, you know, always a always a, a fun s- subject to talk about, even if it is, uh, you know, in reflection of his of his recent passing. So yeah, or we could just talk about Willie Fitz. Uh, <laughs> why am I? I'm losing my absolute mind. Willie Fitzpatrick, Willie Taggart's uh, inability Willie to Taggart. land a quarterback. We could do that for thirty minutes during his inability time. to land a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Also, an inability to called Bowden's wife the right name uh, in a tweet offering condolences. Uh, Wait, is that so, what happened? Yeah. Willie's not the only one that, you know, you're not the only one that struggles with names, Chase. Let me put it that way. Uh, 
Yeah, he called her Sue. Oh, I know what it was, by the way. Willie Fitz of Tulane. I was just about to say yeah. Willie Fitz. There we go. Okay, I was like, why am I going okay. Willie Fitz? And I'm like, okay, that's why. Okay, that's where my brain went. Anyway, continue. Yeah, he just he said, you know, it was a nice tweet, and he didn't have to do anything, but it's kind of, uh, you know, if you want to make a great oversimplification, it is kind of emblematic of of Willie Taggart in general. Uh, best of intentions, you know, short on detail. So, mm. uh yeah. Well, I read. Did you read the um, the obituary for Bowden in the New York Times this weekend? I did not. Um, I can't. I've, I've consumed a massive amount of content uh, tied to Bowden, and I saw the headline, but I did not read the actual article. Well, it was really good. It was really illuminating into his past and growing up, and um, his time in West Virginia. And then there was the Saban story. Did you know about the Saban story beforehand when he was at West Virginia? I did not know. I think Nick first mentioned that at SEC Media Days when the uh, the word came down that Bowden was, you know, battling a terminal illness and there was not much time. Uh, I I had I had actually heard from Jimbo Fisher that there was a loose connection there of some sort, but I did not know the details, and I certainly didn't know that he offered him a a job kind of sight unseen after hearing that. Uh, you know, his father had passed unexpectedly and that perhaps his mother was having a, a hard time with the circumstance. Yeah, I mean, it was it was rough. But, I mean, 91 is a, is a long time. And uh, he was in good health for the majority of it. And by all accounts, like, really well liked. Um, and no one remembers. He even has a sense of humor about, like, the 12 games that he lost or, like, he, I don't think, was happy about becoming the all-time uh, winning coach. Uh, just on the leaderboard uh, when Paterno got all those uh, wins stripped and then uh, I think his family sued and got them back I, I think was the last bit of that but he didn't want to get it like that and I think Paterno talked about him where he was just like I don't understand how he is able to keep reinventing different things on offense but he does it um, is that how you'll remember his coaching style is just that like the stats from like 1987 to like 2000 are bonkers. Like, I think yeah. was that top five AP finishes for that 13 year stretch? Is that I, the stat? I think it was top four. Okay. Know? I mean, it, it was just, it was absurd. I mean, they won, I think they won uh, 11 straight bowl games, mm. you know, in the time where bowl games were a, a much bigger deal than they are now. Uh, you know, what I'll remember him for is that he, he was probably the best in-home recruiter of all time. Mm. Uh, he was probably the best uh, guy ever to save that final in-home visit till, you know, 10 days before, in the in the 10-day window before signing day, and uh, and would just absolutely go in there and, and crush it. And um, he was a, you know, he had a, a folksy charm, certainly, and he had uh, appeal, but he, you know, you... <laughs> If you're all salesmen, that technique works for about two or three years, and then it fades and it catches up with you. I mean, there, there has to be a level of authenticity to pair with that. And, and that was really what made Bowden unique. I, uh, you know, I certainly didn't play for the man, but some of the more moving remembrances of him that I've seen over the last 48 hours are of guys that played with him and, and guys that said, you know, even late into the, uh, you know, the 90s and early 2000s when college football uh, you know, it was was certainly a business and, and very much a business um, that he cared about a, a greater development of an individual and a human. And that's uh, 
there's a lot of different things to remind to remember him for. And, and what you were saying originally, I think what you were saying is the one thing that I think he gets kind of shortchanged in history. I mean, people know about uh, the, the the late eighties, early uh, the nineties, and really all the way up to the you know two thousand two thousand one. Um, but I don't think he gets credit historically for uh, the offensive innovations that he embraced. I mean, he he you know, now granted Mark Richt and others on his staff had a role in it, but Bowden would was the type of coach that if you had ideas he'd listen to them and he would allow them to come to the surface and you know some of the spread concepts that they introduced with charlie ward or you know you look at that and you realize that they were kind of playing a a style of football that you weren't going to see for another 10 or 12 years and even you know even moving to the eye in the 70s and 80s it's it's hard to think of you know uh, an eye formation as kind of a cutting edge of of college football but there was certainly he kind of ran a pro style offense before the pros really embraced um, you know, two tight ends, a back or, or a tight end, two backs. And, um, and just an awful lot of things from an offensive standpoint uh, that he embraced that I don't know that he generally gets credit for. There were so many great nuggets that were like, I didn't know his agreement. Like, were you familiar? Because I think Sanford was called something else before Sanford in Alabama. I believe it was Howard College. Okay. And when he was coaching there, he had an agreement with Bear Bryant to um, get all of the guys that Bear Bryant did not want. And that's how he succeeded at Samford is he literally just got the guys he had a relationship where he's like, these guys aren't going to work out. You can you can have them if you would like. Like stuff like that is kind of wild, kind of ahead of the curve, right? Like with kind of what's happening with transfers. Like was it Western Kentucky who just like brought in all of Houston Baptist? Am I misremembering that this offseason? I think that's what they just did where it's like they just – gobbled them up and that's kind of what the transfer portal is we just gobble um entire teams up and now at this point um w- did yeah. you know about well, the story Lord knows if you were wanting to grab kids out of the portal uh, you know bear bryant's uh extras were probably probably pretty good ones to grab back in the day uh again something that i was a little bit familiar with i didn't realize i wasn't familiar that maybe there was quite the direct uh understanding there but i knew he had kind of uh built up there and also uh you know maybe and it's a long time ago and certainly college football has evolved uh but bowden i believe bowden and ironically jimbo fisher are the only two all-american quarterbacks at what is now known as samford hmm. uh and so that's an, an interesting tie there and uh, bowden was a a decent player in the day and played for a team that only had you know you didn't just have a head coach you just had coach so they had one guy out there coaching and bowden was you know, more or less the uh, offensive backs coach as a quarterback in college. And that was really kind of the seed that was planted for him to, to go on and, and go into the coaching world. Yeah. it He's just fascinating. On I think it was his wife who said like, he may present himself as a country boy, but that man has never been, a, been on a farm or he like grew up on the street. <laughs> like he grew up on concrete, I think is the, the expression that she used. <laughs> Well, he, he was from Birmingham, so right. I don't, you know, I don't think he had to tend to the cows or anything mm-hmm. like that. But uh, I think people, when yeah, they just hear Southern I mean, accents, Ingram, as a fellow Southerner, like when people do that, they just have this idea. And I'm like, my grandparents did, and they grew up in downtown Atlanta. Like that's right. not, yeah. like it, that's not <laughs> no, a not a thing. I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, ironically enough, I just bought three chickens, so I can just have them running around my yard, and I can get eggs without going to the grocery store. But that is. 
that is just come again are you bare like we're not moving past that ingram yeah you you got three chickens yeah i got three hens i mean i've got a Uh i don't have a massive backyard but i've got a a backyard that's uh you know decent enough to let them out of their cage and haven't had anybody claim uh claimed by a hawk yet so uh fingers crossed there but yeah that's not uh you know i, I can't say that i have any kind of farming or anything else in my background or, and that i'm particularly aware of in the uh immediate family <laughs> interesting um yeah, I don't know. Maybe what do you think Adrian McPherson's up to? Is he what is, what is he doing these days? Uh, oh, that's a good question. There's a lot of uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of kids. I I think uh, I think Adrian McPherson. I, oh, I could be wrong about this, and I hate to. Uh, I would hate to be wrong, but I I think that story ended up okay. I mean, okay. I think that kid uh, ended up uh, you know getting. Uh, getting some type of degree and it's been a while since i've heard that name but i i believe that that had a you know that 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 he was able to get a degree and and land a job and was on his you know kind of on his way um so and if that's the case again a a testament to bowden because uh that you know could have gone could have gone one or two ways uh in that situation well, I can I can remember some guys. If you want to go down that road with the the Florida State Seminoles, um, I'm absolutely right there with it. Um, were you surprised, like growing up? Did, was because like it's so many years removed, and I was younger. But like he grew up listening to Alabama on the radio. He grew up obviously in Alabama. He played for the Crimson Tide briefly before um, going back to Birmingham and marrying his high school sweetheart who was 16 at the time and he was 19. Uh, we were overlooking that one, but that, that is a, a nugget that I pulled and I was kind of alarmed or surprised at that. But, um, and then you, you just look at it and you're like, he never, he never made the jump. He, he really never did the Alabama thing. So it's like when people talk about Tabo eventually winding up at Bama, it's like, mm, I don't know. Like Bobby yeah. Bowden's like the all time best, option to go to bama and he he never did it yeah there's certainly and i mean i i think part of the appeal in taking the florida state job was was to be closer to the bama job once it became open you know if he was able to have success um i you know there's the the story is famous but he he went to bama at one time to go um what he thought was to go take the the job and he got there and realized that uh he was not being offered the job. He was being offered a job interview. And at that point he thought, you know, I've, I've done too much of my career to be, to sit here and interview for another head coaching job. So, uh, that was always the goal. And, you know, it's just, whether it be karma or, or, uh, you know, the one in the sky or whatever it is that we particularly believe in, it's just interesting the ways that things work out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I've, I, I, Bowden is going to be uh, buried just outside of Birmingham. So obviously deep, deep connections with that area. And you're right. That's where Anne's from. And I don't, <laughs> yeah, the 16 to 19 thing is interesting. And I, I swear that as a youth, uh, somewhere in the mid nineties, I watched an interview with Bowden and he said something to the effect of, uh, well, you know, old Ann and I had kind of, kind of run out of things to do that were uh you know deemed appropriate at the time so we decided we decided we needed to get married I, uh i will f- try to find that clip because i i mean even at the time as like a 12 year old i was like wow that is a hilarious thing to say 
but yeah, no, he was. I think the story was that he was at Bama, and you know somebody called him and said, "Oh, you know, old so and so took was, was out out on the town with your with your lady friend," and he he said, "Well, that ain't gonna work." So, uh, quickly, <laughs> let me go quickly back and lock back. that down. Um, yeah, supposedly just called her and said, "Hey, I heard you were going out with you know so and so. Well, I want to get married." And uh, you know, it's power play. How that? Yeah, it is a power play, and it turned into a seventy-year marriage. So something. Something certainly worked there. Uh, is that what you did? Yeah, they were married shortly there. No, 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 no. I'm saying is that what you did? Did you follow the Bowden suit as a Florida State uh, super I fan? A, I mean, I I am currently dating someone that in, mm-hmm. in theory I would get married to, mm-hmm. but I'm you know into my into my mid thirties and have mm-hmm. not uh, you know waded into those waters. So uh, no, <laughs> you know, very much enjoyed the uh, the time that I've had to. Well, we're in the same place, Atlanta. Ingram. Like we're yeah. uh, like the girlfriend and everything. I think I'm going to follow the Bowden advice and just be like, I'll call and be like, yeah, just, hey, just call her, just call her. <laughs> you know, hey, uh, no pictures. Up? I don't know what's up. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking we should probably get married. So yeah, <laughs> do it live on the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you could maybe you know if you're interested in going down that route, maybe you could write the ring off as a business expense <laughs> at that point. So. <laughs> Oh, I hope she doesn't listen to this. Um, the Florida State actual 2021 football team. Very interesting. I think Norvell is going to work out better than uh, than our old friend Willie Tigert. Um, you, got, you got Hunter in the mix, the number one recruit now with Quinn Ewers reclassifying. Um, you've got, you've got a lot of talent. Uh, but I do have a question. Because like when people are talking about Florida State and the upside there, and I think Florida State is trending in the right direction. But they were still awful last year. They were a bad football team. Their efficiency Definitely. on offense was 83rd. Defense, 109. Um, finishing drives, they were 101st. And part of that is just the, the QB play, and McKenzie Milton is just going to be a huge difference maker there. I'm okay with that. However, I look at this schedule, Ingram, and I'm just like, I, where are the bowl games? How are they getting to a bowl game after going three and yeah, six last year? No, I mean if if you can go six and six, I think anybody with half a brain takes it in heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I think you're more likely. Uh, you're probably leaning closer to five and seven. I mean, McKenzie uh, brings some nice things, but really, your quarterback play really won the problem last year. I mean, Jordan Travis was one of the more explosive runners in all of college football, and really uh, helped to protect an offensive line that still is going through issues now. The talent that you referenced is right. I mean, they are they are on the verge. If they can hold it together, they're on the verge of putting a transformational class together. And they've got a couple other kids out there, and they're you know chasing after uh, Marvin Jones Jr. And you know Marvin Jones is for my money the best college linebacker I've ever seen at Florida State in the early '90s. And uh, you would you'd think you'd have a good chance of recruiting that kid and getting him, but. Uh, you know, when Alabama and Georgia and <laughs> Ohio State want a kid, it's kind of hard to beat them on the trail right now. Especially Tennessee State, when so. Walter Nolan signs on. Yeah, so. right. Who, who's... Uh, Walter Nolan, that's a, that's a program transformer as well. But He moved uh, to Powell, so it's right there. I'm ready. I am ready for the yeah, Walter Nolan. No, that's yeah. a big step. That's mm-hmm. a big step, and there's certainly some comparables to Nolan and Hunter and, uh, you know, give give a coaching staff a lot of credibility and yeah, Sam McCall is another kid. I think he's their second highest recruited, uh, second highest committed kid. That's a guy that wasn't really even considering Florida State. I mean, at, at least at the level of his top group of schools, uh, visited. Travis Hunter got in his ear and committed. 
And um, and even the staff at the time, Chase said, you know, it's great to give this kid's commitment, but we're going to have to, you know, we're, we're going to have to fight like hell. And internally, I think they would have said, you know, doesn't mean we won't sign him, but he'll probably decommit at some point in time. You know, we'll have to fight this down to the end. Well, that, you know, things can change. And it's uh, it's the second week of August. Um, but that kid is as aggressively committed on social media as, as anybody that I've seen. I mean, he recently visited visited florida and if you're a florida state fan gave one of the greatest recruiting quotes you've ever heard when he when he told a beat writer nah i'm sticking with florida state <laughs> gainesville i mean that okay that works Gainesville's was a so, tough sell uh, for people who've been down they've there got some real talent and and uh, super talented kids but also you know the issue of concern that has been present in tallahassee that i kind of half referenced with a quarterback uh, conversation there has been offensive line. They've got six kids committed currently, and they they may they won't sign eight chase, but they may have as many as eight committed at one time. I mean, they are addressing that with numbers and addressing that with uh, at least from a quality of recruit perspective, kids that they haven't gotten to come to Tallahassee in four or five years. Yeah, um, what what have you seen and heard about Milton thus far? Like, there is so much pressure on this kid. I feel bad for him. Like. There is just people are penciling him as Derek King North, and I'm like, um, let's see, like one of yeah, the all-time well, I, worst <laughs> injuries you can have. Like, just we just saw, like he's not Alex Smith, but you saw the difference with Alex Smith after all that. Like he was a different quarterback; he's just not a player anymore. He retired, yeah. and that's it. Like that could be the case, but then you read the reports, and it's like everything's glowing, everything's good, but also like the mental stuff. We don't know what he's going to be like when he drops back, like in a real football game. Like we have no idea. No I would idea. love to or, say or, 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 I'm not worried about the first time he drops back. I'm worried about what he's like after he gets hit. Yeah. Uh, but, so, you know, what it's been is uh, the flashes that you have seen have been impressive, have been better than I expected, man. As mm. you mentioned, one of the worst injuries you've seen a kid that it is not hyperbole when you say damn near lost his leg. I mean, it was a nasty, nasty injury. Uh, but there are. I don't take away much from spring games, but I'm not talking about stats or anything else. But uh, when you when you see a kid that's had an injury, you know, firmly and confidently plant on that leg and explode off of it, relatively speaking, he's not, you know, McKenzie's never going to be a a threat to join the four by one hundred team or anything like that. But uh, you know, really push off a leg, feel fully confident in doing it, and and look comfortable doing it. That's that's very encouraging. Um, McKenzie, I would say EKGs a little bit more in practice as far as his level of consistency. And part of that's probably just familiarity with the offense. Uh, Jordan Travis is a little bit more consistent. And I think I think ultimately McKenzie's going to be your starter because Jordan Travis is almost a better – he gives you an option as a number two that I don't know that you can – use McKenzie as a number two in a manner that's as, uh, I guess, disruptive, if that's the right phrase. It's probably not. But you can design packages with Jordan Travis. You can be much more flexible with how you try to use him. And and two, I think you'll see both of them on the field a decent amount of time. Um, Shots fired at Trevor Purdy. Ulti- I think ultimately McKenzie is your quarterback, or at least just your you know, official starter. Um, but I, I really... I really think highly of Travis and I'm not at practice. Uh, and so it's, it may not be appropriate for me to say this. I, I would probably lean a little bit more towards starting 
Travis just from what I've seen and what I've heard, but I, I do think that McKenzie uh, is a little bit of a gamer and is really hard to judge uh, based off practice. I think when the lights come on, uh, that's a kid that, that plays a little bit of a higher level. And, you know, Mike Norvell, um, when he was at Memphis and playing UCF, we'll talk to you about the individual performances that he saw from McKenzie Milton or, you know, some of the most impressive things he's seen on a football field. So, uh, you know, Norvell's got a little bit of that idea as to what it looks like when the lights come on and if he thinks it's going to fully transfer over from a health perspective and the recovery's been there I would I would bet that McKenzie Milton's ultimately a starter when they kick off the year against Notre Dame but that's the interesting thing it's like they're not starting off with Jacksonville State they're starting off with Notre Dame a team no, that's just in the yeah. playoff I mean it's it's a hell of a way to start and uh, it's going to be a Sunday night game it'll be a it'll you know fingers crossed it'll be a full house uh, from a, although it seems like Florida is probably going to let you do whatever you want to do at this point. So I'd expect it to be a, you know, full capacity uh, allowed, and uh, look forward to seeing it. And it's, it's it'll be a, a hell of an atmosphere. Now you know, hell of an atmosphere matters for about three minutes, and then uh, tends to, tends to fall back on who the Jimmys and the Joes are. And, and Notre Dame certainly got a more impressive roster, but I, you know, I think Florida State's got a legitimate chance to, to show well in that game and. And uh, they're not going to catch Notre Dame off guard. That's not the right phrase. But, you know, it's it's an Irish team that loses a lot of pieces and will be trying to, you know, find some of its identity and find exactly um, who some of those replacement parts are. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't think Florida State's going to win the game, but I think Florida State has a chance to, to uh, you know, be pretty competitive and, and put a good foot forward on the national stage. True or false, Chubb Purdy is the man under center for Florida State Week 1, 2022. Ooh, um, I think A.J. Duffy, the committed quarterback, has a very, very good chance of being your starter day one. And, actually, okay. and, and Jordan Travis to kind of be in a similar position. Now, Chubb, uh, very talented. Um, there's a you know there's a lot of, of hope with Chubb if he can stay there and and get it right and understand the, the system and stay healthy. Um, and then Tate Rotomaker has not, has not played particularly well in games, but uh, is a coach's son and shows very well in practice and is a, is a much more athletic kid than he gets credit for. So ultimately one of those kids is probably going to have to hit the portal. Uh, but both of them, you know, have their strengths and it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how they're developed and it'll be a, it'll be a four man, you know, assuming Chuba and uh, and Tate are on campus, it'll be a, a four-man race for the quarterback position next year, and uh, you know it's going to be a pretty pretty open open uh, position battle. Interesting. Um, last question, and we'll wrap up here this evening. Here, um, your favorite new face on this Florida State team you're excited about watching this fall? Well, um, <laughs> they've got some. They've got some exciting pieces um the most exciting piece from the class that i was excited about was a wide receiver out of louisiana named destin hill uh, oh not Malik unfortunately McLean. he is not not on campus yet and there is some ambiguity as to when he will be able to get to campus so um i'm gonna stay at the same position they got a kid named malik mclean out of the img academy uh out of mississippi um originally and uh, Florida State has a desperate need at wide receivers. They got a transfer by the name of Andrew Parchment that will be featured prominently. But 
Uh, it may take a couple games. And actually, uh, Malik may be from Mobile. But anyway, kid from IMG Academy, big body, uh, physical kid who I think has a chance to be a, um, a both a, you know, it would be really interesting to see what he develops into in the long term. And I think by game four or so could be a, a pretty consistent uh, rotation man at wide receiver. And then they signed a kid, uh, a cornerback with the last name of Knowles, ironically, uh, mm. who is uh, is very exciting. Played, you know, if I just if I just sat you down and had you watch the spring game and had no concept of, uh, of Florida State or any past performance, I, I'm pretty confident you would identify him as as the most impressive player. Again, spring games don't mean anything, uh, but the you know, showing that he put on the spring game has uh, kind of been carried through in some of the summer workouts and the early reports are that uh, that kid is in a, a place to contribute and will be one to keep an eye on. Interesting. Uh, final thing, and we'll wrap up here, Ingram. Your final, what is it, August 9th prediction on how many wins for this, this Knowles team. Do they go bowling this fall? I don't uh, think they go bowling via the traditional route oh no you shouldn't be allowed to accept that five and seven oh god Um, i hate it so much five and seven right Uh, now they'll get an invite because they're florida state and florida Mm -hmm. state even even now florida state is one of the more popular tv entities out there and so a bowl game is you know undoubtedly going to invite you know if if you can invite a a florida state a tennessee a miami or something like that versus uh you know, Akron or something like that. You you know what you're going to do. Um, but yeah, I think um, it's going to be an interesting year, and it's going to be an interesting year where a lot of the fan base is more has more eyes on that recruiting commitment list necessarily than they do the play on the field. I mean, you know, if they can keep that class together uh, and they can bring in some of those pieces, then there's a decent degree of optimism but the optimism has about a one year fuse on it uh, before it's really seen on the field. Now, um, you know, they'll look better. And I think uh, any first year coaching staff uh, was dealt a, a, a hell of a blow. That's almost hard to quantify by COVID and trying to get kids ready and get kids into a strength program and everything else. So I, I do think they're going to show better than the, the team that went three and six last year. And, you know, <laughs> creatively dodged Clemson and uh and you know was was a more or less forced Duke to get on a field so that they could get a third win and uh, uh you know it was, it was kind of funny but uh yeah no I mean they'll, they'll be a little bit better they're trending in the right direction from a macro standing from a macro standpoint as a program uh but it's it's going to take a little bit of time but yeah if, if they go six and six certainly if they do anything better than six and six uh, it's a hell of a year, and and will be you know interesting to see where the program goes from there. They're 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 not going to catch Clemson anytime soon, but they could certainly re you know reassert themselves as uh, you know right there with kind of North Carolina. I was going to say you can catch North Carolina pretty quickly. So yeah, and I think there's more momentum than Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, the bottom's going to fall out soon. Like they have to win some games in this schedule for them this year is just atrocious like they're very tough and that coach uh man the the tech boosters uh, it's very interesting talking to him they either love that guy or don't like him at all it is interesting to hear uh you know the perspective that they have on coach collins there uh but he's he's signed some nice pieces i mean that running back they got at dalton's probably the for my money the most talented kid tech signed uh, maybe since calvin johnson i don't know mm. but uh 
So they've they've got some nice stuff there. It'll be interesting to see, but the schedule. Who? But also yeah, Paul Johnson won. That dude was going to Orange Bowls. Like that dude won. Like he wasn't flashy, but like right now Jeff Collins can't even touch Paul Johnson and what he oh, was doing. Yeah. No, not even no, touch. I mean, and people are getting frustrated. But I'm like, that dude won. He beat Georgia. That man won. Yeah, beat Georgia. I mean, in every third year would give you a nine mm-hmm. year, a nine year, uh, a, a nine year, a nine win season, and uh, yeah, I mean that's that, and it was a good fit for a program like Tech. You know, mm-hmm. you're never gonna, you're not gonna beat Georgia for the five star offensive tackle out of Gwinnett County or whatever. You know, I mean, you got to be creative with what you're gonna, what you're gonna get out there and the pieces that you uh, can go and recruit. And yeah, that was kind of a, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Tech or some other school kind of of their ilk uh, goes to a real kind of unique system like that because it's you know it's hell to play against and uh, particularly in Johnson you know the the early years of Johnson he, he beat the hell out of Florida State with that option but uh, it was it's fun to see a little bit of diversity in uh, offensive scheme and bring back yeah, Josh maybe, Nesbitt and uh, Jonathan like Dwyer that. Roddy Jones bring them back let's get yeah, them back together the ironic thing all those kids that Chan Gailey committed were mm-hmm. kind of perfect fits for the system i mean you know josh nesbitt did not was not recruited with the idea of you know <laughs> carrying the ball 24 times a game and uh and going about that but he ended up being as you know as as hand and glove of a fit as you could ever have in a system like that absolutely uh shout out to gwinnett county ingram what can we uh what can we look out from you this week across nolcast yeah man we're jumping into our season preview uh series and you know the nolcast is I uh, believe we're entering our either 10th or 11th year of doing this. So it's kind of crazy. We're kind of one of the first team specific podcasts out there and it's a hell of a lot of fun. And I'm, uh, you know, blessed to have as, as good of a co-host as anybody could ever have in Buddy Elliott. So uh, it's been a lot of fun during the season. We do about three episodes a week. If anybody has an interest in, you know, keeping an eye out on a team other than theirs, I listen to a Georgia podcast once a week and I listen to, uh, and the Chase Thomas podcast, podcast once a week just to just to hear um, you know just to hear other people's perspective on things and uh, if you know if, if you ever have an interest in that as a broader listener uh, we would we would love to have you check in on us every once in a while absolutely well go do that I have a lot of family that graduated from Florida State and have had lots of fun in Tallahassee so they have my my approval um ingram thank you so much for for making the time i greatly appreciate it uh we will check back in again soon yeah man thank you for having me i appreciate it all right hello and welcome back to a monday night edition of the chase Thomas podcast it's monday night so you know that means NFL with Evan Swords of 49ers Hub. Evan, good evening, sir. How are you? I am well. How are you? Uh, an earlier start date. I'm excited. Like, uh, I will not be editing audio at 2 o'clock in the morning, it seems like, tonight. So, I'm, I'm feeling good about that. I got my tea. got my peach tea. I got my orange lights all around the office. So, it's a, it's a big orange Monday. Go Vols. A couple weeks out. Um, also here, Anthony Wood. Houston Texans reporter for Sports Illustrated. Uh, Anthony, good evening. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And I appreciate you bringing out the tea just for the Brit. That's uh, it's a nice touch. <laughs> okay, so I have so many questions. What was the biggest? <laughs> what was the biggest cultural shock for you to go from the UK to Fort Worth, Texas? Oh, it's, got, it's 
got to be the heat. Okay. I mean, by a million miles, this heat is just unbearable. And I've been here almost three years now. I'm still nowhere near used to it. So where, Anthony, where did, where did you live in the UK? Uh, just south of London. So I've been here, yeah, I spent a year in Houston, went back to the UK, and then here I am, what, about three years almost I've been here now. So, uh, yeah, apparently I'm just a glutton for punishment wanting to cover the Texans so much. There you go. That's awesome. I I, I, uh, I, I have 49ers Hub uh, is, is kind of like the website that I have. Uh, and we have our own uh, a, a Brit, uh, Nicholas McGee, who uh, – who was a who was a writer for the 49ers and, and also a bunch of soccer stuff out there. So it's nice to meet the other teams beat writer Brit. Like it's very not you know it's like a it's like it's very it's very fun. I love like I love British people that are really into football because you got to imagine they just go back to their country and like everyone looks at them like what the fuck man. <laughs> who do you think you are it, it takes I'm, i will admit it, it takes a lot of dedication especially when you're covering it from the uk because you know you got you got to be up till four in the morning watching the games i mean it, it can be tiring right yeah man well, it's good to meet you absolutely glad to be here thanks very much so what what do, what do people get like what are the uk what is the uk or what do the people you grew up with get now that you've been here for three years what have what do they get the most wrong about americans about Americans or about American football? Ooh, both. Um, about American football, honestly, why it's called football is the big oh, thing okay. I get. Every single time I go over there is that people get furious because <laughs> they have no idea why it's called football and why Americans call football soccer. That's the biggest thing that really irritates people over there. Uh, so I have to explain that to everyone. In terms of... Americans, I'm honestly not sure. I just know the biggest thing, maybe not that we get wrong about Americans, but that I suppose Americans get wrong about me more than anything is the accent. Most people usually ask if I'm either Australian or South African. Um, I get okay. Scottish thrown in there a bit as well, but very, very rarely, rarely do I get English. Huh. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the, you said you're in El Paso. Fort Worth. Fort Worth, yeah. So I'm going to go out on a limb, and there's not probably a lot of cultured individuals in the Fort Whoa. Worth area. Whoa, we could have a strong Fort Worth, El Paso listenership, sir. Well, El Paso's nowhere near, but I mean, I, I would imagine that you're not meeting people that are like, oh, oh, where are you? Are you from Leeds? No, that's Luton. That's Luton. It's Luton, isn't it? Like. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love I love Fort Worth. I love all the people here. But um, yeah, a lot of people definitely haven't left the area too much in their lives that I've met. Because yeah, they they get it way wrong. I mean, if, I love I love the Australian accent, which is like nowhere near. <laughs> not like nowhere. Like you probably didn't say one time, not once. No, <laughs> no, no. I don't swear anywhere near enough. Let's be honest. Again, love Australia, but they can swear, and and that's just not me. Right. Well, that's because you're proper. Chase, by the way, you can absolutely bleep that word out. I, that, that was probably a little aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I was just moving past it, and it was, like, really low-key, so I was like, I, but you just acknowledged it again, so I guess maybe I should blurp. You should, you should definitely blurp it just because I think you don't blurp enough of my swearing, and, like, what a fun thing that that would be anyways. No, it wouldn't. What are you talking time, about? That's a terrible way to spend it. my night. What? Timestamp it. Yeah, how many timestamps am I doing here? Because you—that's like seventeen timestamps. I mean, well, maybe, I said, maybe you will. Maybe you will be up till two in the morning. 
<laughs> do you see what I deal with, Anthony? Like, do you see what I'm dealing with right now? This man is just adding work to my plate because we started a little bit earlier. He's like, well, you have more time to bleep me out now. Mm-hmm. You got your tea. That'll keep you awake as long as it's caffeinated. It's not. It's decaf. Ah. See, I do a lot of coffee. I do a lot of coffee. Oh, that's a question for you, though. I've always wondered on this perspective, and this will naturally lead us into the NFL. Um, why is it a British thing to add milk to your tea? Because it's the proper way to do it. Okay, that's not an answer. I don't like that answer. <laughs> I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have no idea where it came from. I just know that is the way you do it. It's as simple as that. Black tea has to have milk, and it has to have the right amount. It has to be not too white not too dark otherwise it's just completely wrong it has to be just right it can't be just right it has milk in it it can't be what milk and tea i just i tried it once and i was like this is not a thing and unfortunately um i'm gonna be the arbiter here and i'm gonna say point americans we got it right with tea no no i mean I, I, I spent a, a lot of time in, in mainland Europe as well. I lived in Holland for a while, and they have a lot of, you know, fruit teas, things like that. They don't do milk at all. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, when you've got an English breakfast or an Earl Grey, something like that, you have to have milk in there. It is 10 times better. Mm. Like, listen, I don't necessarily think that I would like milk in tea, but I am most certainly not going to tell an Englishman <laughs> how tea should be prepared. I mean, that, it's the absolute gall of you, Chase. <laughs> such an American thing to just be like, yep, yeah, no, I'm going to chalk that one up as a W for the Americans. Well, let's, I mean, let's be honest. We've already, I think, pissed off the people in mm. Fort Worth, El Paso, and Australia. Mm-hmm. I think by suggesting that Americans got tea right, you've just pissed off any Brits listening as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably like at least maybe 20% of the people in England <laughs> right now that just twitch for some reason. They don't even know why. They just like had a little like twitch in the back of their head. They're like, something's wrong. Oh, no. I, what have I done? Like, I have English listeners. Like, what am I doing? Um, maybe I just bleep the entire first seven minutes of this podcast. Um, well, guys, the AFC South, the reason... Um, outside of um, his great reporting, Anthony is here is because we're covering his division where his Houston Texans land. Um, I want to start though, guys. Josh Allen did get an extension in the last couple of days before we get into the AFC South. Um, Anthony, did you do you like the extension? Do you like the numbers? Do you like uh, rewarding Allen uh, for what he did last year? And do you do you think this is something that uh, will not become a Jared Goff type thing? or Carson Wentz type thing in two to three years? No, uh, he's far superior to both of those guys. No disrespect to, to Wentz or to Goff. I'll be honest, Goff, I've never really been that keen on. I thought he was pretty average even when LA were, were at the Super Bowl. He's, I've never been his biggest fan. Wentz, so hot and cold, injury prone, blah, blah, blah. You, you look at someone like Allen, he is as consistent as they come. He is as talented as they come. I mean... I think it's a great deal from their point of view because let's be honest, it's a heck of a lot of money, but the market's just going to keep going up. So I think it's great from their point of view, keeping for another six years. I think it is. I think the Bills did absolutely, absolutely what they needed to on that point of view. And I don't think it's going to age poorly over the next few years at all. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like we have to think about how Jimmy Garoppolo was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL at one point. So you're right that, the the market's just going to continue to rise especially i think it's absolutely genius for them to get josh allen his contract before baker and lamar because i think josh allen is just a better quarterback Mm. he is and it's just like 
they're going to have to pay those quarterbacks more. And that's just going to be like the most lopsided unfair thing of all time because Josh Allen is significantly better than both of them. I yeah, love the, the Austin. Oh, quickly. go ahead. Sorry, Baltimore needs to get in there quickly before, See, before Baker signs. I I love the two for one. So PFF's two for one guys. So friend of the pods, uh, friend of the pod, friends of the pod. I guess is the right way of phrasing that. Uh, Mike Renner and and um, why? Oh my gosh, Austin Gale. Um, they made this point during the off season, and I thought it was interesting. But I I don't know. This is like one of those things where it sounds good without the human element. But like their position was that like when it when the wheels fall off for Lamar. It, it's going to fall off and he's not going to be an NFL quarterback very quickly. Like he, he's going to go from like an MVP top five, top 10 guy to um, not Robert Griffin, but just like a backup very quickly. Like it's the bottom's going to fall out very, very fast for him. I don't think that the bottom's going to fall out, but I think the reality is, is like Lamar Jackson needs to add, and I don't mean this politically at all, but like, he cannot kneel for the national anthem, not for any of the reasons that you're thinking, but just specifically, if you watched what happened when Colin Kaepernick had Greg Roman in his, as his offensive coordinator, it was literally the same thing. He was just relegated to a bunch of running, running the ball, very, very basic passing plays. Colin was like, you know, considered to be really not a good quarterback. It's, you know, some points he had some really low lows. Um, and it's unfortunate because, you know, obviously what he did, uh, you know, he got blackballed from the NFL because of, of kneeling for the national anthem. That's let's not talk about that. But from a football standpoint, I really felt like Chip Kelly was like just starting to bring the the quarterback out of Colin Kaepernick. And it was too late by that time. And the reason why I say that is I think Lamar Jackson's in a very similar situation. I feel like Greg Roman is doing the same thing again with a very rudimentary passing game and just running the ball and having Lamar run. And it, it is exciting and it can work, but it's not, you know, it's not a, a longevity play. Like that's not how you sustain a quarterback in the NFL. And so if I think if he can just make it a couple more years or maybe hopefully this year and they fire Greg Roman hopefully he can have the renaissance that Colin Kaepernick never got to have. Mm. What concerns me from, from having watched someone like Deshaun Watson the last few years, go back, what, two years ago, um, Deshaun was their leading rusher, and even most of last year, if I'm not mistaken, off the, if not the entire season, he was their leading rusher. But what they'd done over the past year, because obviously injuries, he was getting hit way too often as it was, they tried to taper off of that a bit and just take him, teach him to be a bit more safe with the ball, get hit a bit less, run a little bit less, that sort of thing. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I wasn't a big fan of their offensive play calling, but protecting him a bit more by involving him slightly less in the run game it was the right move for longevity's sake. And that's what, what Greg Roman's going to have to do. I just don't know if that's realistic. Like, he's eventually going, like, the athleticism is going to fade rather quickly and i think he's two things to be true i think you can win a super Bowl with lamar jackson in the next three years i also don't think it's a good idea to give him a lot of guaranteed money over the next five years and that was their point is like they should keep writing it out on one-year deals and keep franchising him until the bottom falls out and that's it because i like locking him up long term is just probably a recipe not for disaster but just like one where you're gonna eat a bad contract at the end of it and it's gonna get ugly 
Um, I don't know. Like, can you do that with your franchise quarterback, your MVP? Can you keep just being like, no, we're just going to keep paying you the max with the franchise tag. And then um, one of these years, you're going to take a bad hit and that's it. Like, it's just he he moves around so much. He is not Russell Wilson where he is going to avoid all of these shots. Like he is going to keep taking them. He is going to keep getting knocked around. And I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm scared for him, but it's also like I could easily see the Ravens in the Super Bowl this year. So um, I'm very fascinated to, to see what uh, this means for Lamar, but I think Baker is probably next man up, but I don't think it's a coincidence that he came out right for this deal and was like, it's good. Good for QBs <laughs> that he got this deal. Oh, no, not at all. But Baker, I mean, with last year, and we'll see what happens with year two in Stavansky's system, he he might be he might break because they're another Super Bowl possibility team. He's on the Joe Flacco route, kind of, right? I just thought about this as we were talking. Like, this is something that just came up with. Like, the timing for this is perfect. Like, if he gets on a heater with Jarvis and OBJ and this running back group, like they make a Super Bowl run. Can you imagine what he's going to cash in on? Like, it's going to be a terrible contract because I I like Baker, but like he's not a top five guy. He's not a top 10 guy. He's top 15-ish, but like he's going to get some serious... He is in. He has put himself in a position to make so much money this year. So here's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. I, I need to understand this. How is it that you're so confident to talk about Lamar as like a, he's just not going to be a good quarterback and he's... You know, That's not what I'm saying. Well, I mean, you're basically just saying like that he's got no hope. And I'm saying whatever. the injuries are coming and he relies so much more on athleticism right. than everybody else. But, Right, and you talked about the running and all that, but like he literally threw like what? How many touchdowns in the two, two year, you know, two years, half a, a season in two years that he's mm-hmm. played? Like, like Baker Mayfield is like Super Bowl run. The Browns have a Super Bowl roster for sure. Anthony, do you do you agree? Uh, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. They have a Super Bowl roster. I agree also that Baker's not a a top ten guy though. I don't think so either. Like, but when you look at, I mean. I don't know his Lamar's completion percentage for his career to this point is sixty four percent. Like that's just not sustainable when he loses his athleticism. Like that is going to come up. Like he threw nine picks last year. Um, his accuracy dipped um, from sixty six to sixty four. His first year in the league it was fifty eight percent. Like once the athleticism goes, you cannot get away with that kind of stuff with that kind of inaccurate style. Like that's just not going to work. That's my perspective. I I just don't think like Baker's not an, like Baker has a long career ahead of him. Mm. And I, we've definitely seen some good, but we've also seen a lot of bad. I look at, I look at Baker like the same way. Trying to think of like, what a good example. He's Kirk cousins. No, no. Cause I think Kirk cousins doesn't have nearly the, the excitement plays that Baker has. Like Baker can really like, you know, put on the, like he, he can get out in open field and he can run and, you know, he can throw, you know, like he does things in an excitable fashion. Um, but like, I've seen Baker play bad. And to me, it's like Baker reminds me of Dak and not in a good way. Like mm. ba- I've watched Baker on a bad team play very bad. And I've also watched him play better on a good team, but, but like, there's too much disparity of his, of his play dependent on how good the team is, the offensive line, which isn't like unfair, right? Like that, that's like, kind that of, means you're an average quarterback. Like you can right. win with the, like the pieces are their lead around you. You can win with this person, but if they're not, you're not going to win with this person. They're not going to make the, some of your parts better. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, he just, he doesn't really like excite me t- to that level. I think, you know, um, 
what Anthony said was very fair. He's not a top ten quarterback. Well, Evan, what do you what do you make of James Washington wanting out of Pittsburgh? This kind of came out of left field, and I was looking at it, and I was like, how long has he been there now? Because for people who were not familiar with him in college, like this dude was one of the best college receivers I've seen in the last 10 years. Like this dude was unguardable. Like what he did against Oklahoma last year was illegal in four states. Um, but you look at it, and you're like, well, everybody in Pitt, like Pitt does something better than anybody else, which is develop receivers. Deontay Johnson looks like a dude. Chase Claypool was insane last year. Like They just do that. Like They develop receivers. But they haven't developed James Washington. Like he was 75th in the league in targets for wide receivers per PFF. He had three, only three games last year where he got more than four tar- four targets. And this is a team that's throwing all over the place. They didn't have a run game last year, but he's just not, not being pinpointed. So I understand why he's asking out, but it is kind of interesting that he just has not, he's not found his footing um, in Pittsburgh. But if I'm a team around the league looking for a third guy um, in your 11 personnel, like he is someone that I would I would look at. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like James came in at the tail end of Ben Roethlisberger's career, mm-hmm. um, and I just threw myself off so bad because I started my last uh, like whatever you asked me with at the end of the day. So I don't want to be that guy that keeps <laughs> saying the same term over and over again. Really threw me off. My dad's but, an at the end of the day guy. I digress. <laughs> uh, he really did come in at the tail end of. Ben Roethlisberger's career. I think Chase Claypool is like legit. Claypool's legitimately a receiver that would have been good on any team. He's special. I don't think. I mean, it, yes, it is another. You know, they they know how to draft good receiver talent. Obviously, I think it's just drafting. They develop them like they developed Antonio Brown. They yeah, developed Juju. My, they my, developed Deontay Johnson to this point. My point is, is like Juju. I sure maybe developed. Antonio Brown, yes, but also he's one of the greatest receivers of all time. So how much do you really develop that? I, I think they're good at finding Plaxico, Heinz Ward. They know. Yeah, I understand that. James Washington is not that tier of receiver. He's good, but not great. And I think that when you had Ben not at his best, plus Chase Claypool came in, and plus all the all the BS that happened with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, and like he just came in at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was like the machine that just churns out receivers mm-hmm. missed, just missed him. Bad mm-hmm. timing on everything. I think he's really smart now to go, hey, trade me. I, I should be on another team because he's not going to get as much playing time, right? The re- they have pretty good receivers. They've got a good running back. Nah, he's going to be fun. Um, but I think he knows, like, yo, like I'll. I can do something on another team and you're not going to use me. So just get, get me out of here. I think it is one of those situations where if they can get a fair compensation for him, it is like a good deal for both sides. Mm. Anthony, what do you think? I hate to be a yes, man, but I'm going to have to agree. I mean, you look at, as soon as I heard this, I thought yeah, it kind of makes sense. I mean, like you said, they got Deontay Johnson, they got Chase Claypool. They still got Juju as well. I mean, is he really going to get a lot of reps in there? Is he going to get anywhere near starters reps? No, he's not going to be able to push himself into that group because they're just, they're too consistent. They're too sort of steady. There's no reason to, to bench any of them. You, who would you bench out of those three? So yeah, I mean, if they can get a fair, they drafted him what second round, I think um, mm-hmm. if they can get what, third, fourth, something like that, surely, you know, he's still young, probably a third or something like that. Surely that'd be enough to get him at this point. They, they would be, Steelers would be more than happy he gets a fresh start. It's a win for both sides. 
I mean, if you're Green Bay, you're doing this now. Like, this is an easy one. Like, it's not like breaking the bank for somebody. Like, you know, this is it for Devontae and Aaron. I would add somebody like James Washington. Like, this is like the no brainer type deal for a lot of contenders around the league. You got to run it past GM Rogers first, though. <laughs> you know who I th- who I think would really use him well, and like I like don't want to say it out loud, hmm. but can you can you imagine Seattle having him as their third wide receiver? Yeah, next next to DK and uh, Tyler Lockett, like he genuinely fits. Uh, and they have you know, a need because I think Eskridge he, is on pup, right? Right. Well, and they just they just don't have uh, kind of like the the right depth at the receiver position past two very obviously incredible receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that doesn't happen because he also just fits very well. Like you know, he complements those two receivers very well. I would agree. I would like that. Maybe some Doug Baldwin stuff when he gets over there. Um, it's possible. I I don't I don't mind that. Um, Hall of Fame weekend thoughts for you, Anthony. I mean, you got to love it. I mean, I think it's safe to say Payton's got to be commissioner at some point. I think everyone's been saying that the last couple, the last. I don't day think or so. he wants I mean, it because when you're commissioner, you're divisive. And as someone like who's followed Peyton Manning his whole career, and I have a cousin named after Peyton Manning, like I go to UT. I am a UT diehard, but like <laughs> I am saying that Peyton, he by all indications, that man wants to own a team. Like he wants to, he wants to actually build something. He wants to do the John Elway on steroids type thing. I don't think he has any interest in being a divisive figure, like as a commissioner, which you just immediately become. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see exactly where you're coming from. I, I can definitely still see him going down that route. I'm not saying it's necessarily likely, but you can definitely see why everyone's talking about it. I mean, the weekend as a whole, though, it was exceptional. Obviously. It, I, it's, I find it funny that the Cowboys still managed to hijack the attention. Jerry, obviously, <laughs> he, he's exceptional at managing to get the limelight on him wherever he goes. I mean, you got to admire him for that. Um, everything with Jimmy Johnson, that's brilliant. But but no, I mean, awesome weekend. I'm, I'm personally just more focused on next year because technically the Texans now have their first ever Hall of Famer in Ed Reed. But I don't know if there's any Texan fan out there who would count. Wait, that. hold on. Excuse me? Are we put? Wait, what did you just say? Technically, the Texans have their first Hall of Famer now in Ed Reed. Ed Reed is not a Texans Hall of Famer. What is happening right now? He had one season. It was all one season in Houston at the tail end of his career. First off, what are you talking about? Ed Reed is absolutely a Texans legend. I don't even remember him being in Houston. Ed Reed absolutely is the best safety to ever play for the Texans. What are we talking about here? (laughs) Wait, no, I think that's Tyron Matthew, right? Is he the best? Yeah. Maybe you just don't know football that well, but mm-hmm. Ed Reed is absolutely the best safety to ever play for the Texans. Without shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. totally. Texans legend. 100%. I mean, he's, he's up there with, you know, he's, he's faced the franchise up there with, like, Brock Osweiler. I mean... Right. <laughs> Wait, if it's not him, though, that's an interesting question. Like, who will be the first... I guess it's... it Will someone beat out JJ Very is foster. my question. It's, well, this, this now, entering 2022, both... Um, Vince Wilfork and Andre Johnson are eligible. Ooh, Andre. Yeah, he's got to be first ballot. He's got to be first ballot. I mean, he's been overlooked his entire career just because of where he played. I was, I was doing some digging on it yesterday. He didn't have a winning season until halfway through his career. Oof. I mean, he was he was overlooked. He was one of their first ever pro bowlers. And he said, I went, went to um, when he went was entered into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. And he said that when he got to his first pro bowl, there was someone there joking about that there's someone from the Texans here who are they kind of thing 
Um, and he always said he wanted to bring that credibility to the city. So you've got to admire him for that. But yeah, he was overlooked his whole career. He, he deserves it without shadow of doubt. He's still 11th in all-time receiving yards and I think hmm. receptions as well. I mean, it's it's insane what he did with... And look at the quarterbacks he had. David Carr. I mean... Matt Schaub. Be- best he had was Matt Schaub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL have, been, have played for the Texans. Um, and then it, as if it's just like the saddest poetic thing for the Texans is they get this incredible uh, talent that is Deshaun Watson. And now, allegedly, he's a fucking piece of shit. Um, so it's uh, rough out there for Houston. Yeah, just a little bit. And I think when you said, you know, that they've had a, a lot, I'd say the majority of the bad quarterbacks in the NFL, especially if you go back to sort of the mid to late 2000s, you look at the ones they went through as backups as well. I mean, dear God. Oh, yeah. No, trust me. Because uh, the reason why I know that so well is because the 49ers, which obviously I am a big fan of, mm-hmm. have, the, the 49ers have, have hired some of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL over – the last decade i i mean just just awful i mean obviously blaine gabbert cj do you remember those years more clearly than the better ones because that's how i am it's so dumb that i remember the joey harrington byron left which chris redmond year as well as i do and i don't know if it's just because of how preposterous it was that it was happening because this was after vic went to prison like do you remember do those stand out more to you yeah totally of course Hmm. I mean, but you have to remember, like, my formative years as a 49ers fan was, like, you know, like, right at, right as Tim Rattay ended and Ooh. it was Alex Smith. But then Sean, Sean Hill, Trent Delford, J.T. O'Sullivan, right, uh, Troy Smith, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, those were, like, the the other year, right? So, like, Did you yeah, know McCown also, in that point at some point? I think McCown was there, right? No, I, he no was McCown? actually – He was definitely one of the one of the guys that, that wasn't um, – no Jeff Garcia there. Jeff Garcia for sure. Mm-hmm. Man. It's yeah. funny, half these guys you're mentioning ended up in Houston. I mean, at one point, Texans had Jeff Garcia, and they had uh, just out random, they had Jake DeLome as their backup. With Jeff no, Garcia do they really? Up. Yeah, I think it was around 2010. I don't remember that this at all. TJ Yates was starting at the time because they I remember that. got injured, if I'm not mistaken. They brought in DeLome and Garcia. I remember Garcia. I didn't remember DeLome ending up there. That's bonkers. Um, well, there you go. I, I think the last thing I'll say on this, and then we'll get into our AFC South preview, but like, I think, um, Anthony, I would let, want to know if you agree with this, but I think it's only fitting that Cortland Finnegan has to induct Andre Johnson into the Hall of Fame next year. If they don't show that clip mm-hmm. at his introduction ceremony, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> like that 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 is it is the one of the highlights of his career evan you remember this brilliant. right what's that uh with Cortland and andre johnson of course okay, absolutely yeah. just, honestly i'm so i mean my best friend is a titans fan mm. and as a titans fan i think he celebrated that fight more <laughs> than i did for andre johnson beating the shit out of Cortland finnegan I'm pretty sure Andre said later, like within the last year or so, he said that it was just an accumulation over time of just Cortland just non-stop in his ear. And eventually he's, there was one thing and it just snapped and that was it. Yeah, absolutely. Strong Pat Bev energy there. Um, 
Well, let's get into the AFC South. The I think it's safe to say the worst division in football going into the season. I, I would say top to bottom, especially with the Carson Wentz injury. Just uh, a murderer's row here. Um, let's start off with the team that Anthony is the most familiar with, the Houston Texans, who have an over-under projected win total of four games and odds to make the playoffs at plus 710 to win the AFC plus 15,000 folks so if you really want to jump in on that if you want to be a sicko go jump in on that one um get your bets in now yeah like what uh what is the re what is the room for optimism what is the path to them exceeding four wins this season in Houston um oh no you know it's not a good start Lawrence goes down Carson Wentz stays out the rest of the year and and something happens to Tannehill maybe um but no i mean if we're being perfectly honest four wins you'd have to class that as a successful year unfortunately um i hate to be the bearer of bad news for any texans fans are holding out hope i do think they'll be better than a lot of people are predicting but not by much i mean you um, know i'm i don't think people talk about it enough because so many people are just talking about how bad the team is they've got a fucked up schedule like yeah they have a fucked up schedule. Like they start out against the Jaguars, which I think the Jaguars win a lot of hype there, but the Browns are a good team. I th- the Panthers are definitely good enough to beat the fucking Texans, but then yeah. bills, Patriots, Colts, Cardinals, Rams, Dolphins, Titans, like it maybe, maybe, maybe get competitive once they play the jets and now maybe the Colts, but like, the Colts game is week, like what, like eight, nine, ten. So like even then, like Wentz might be back. But then the Seahawks, the Jaguars, who knows? Chargers, 49ers, Titans. Like they're gonna get their ass kicked all year long. Yeah, and what I, what I love about this as well is it was obviously it was supposed to be a slightly easier schedule on you know numbers wise at least than last year. No, not really. No, no. Last year they had an appalling schedule from start to finish it was that specifically that first seven weeks was just horrific um but this year honestly especially after free agency and you know the, the likes of um, new england stocking up there, there's no room for error as if you're houston they, they have got to find their rhythm immediately if they've got any hope of, of winning more than two games yeah. i really do think week one against the jags is their best bet by a long shot of winning this season um, because while I do think the Jags have improved a lot, and I think they are definitely on the right direction, they're still a very young team with also with a rookie head coach. I mean, that's that's Houston's best shot. After that, it, it's really anybody's guess. They've got a couple chances. Again, four wins would be a success, but it, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, in the the worst part about the, the 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 schedule for the Texans is like even the bad teams that they're playing, or the you know the, you know kind of the mid range teams have gotten a lot better. Like the Jets, what they did this offseason is pretty impressive from the coach hire all the way down to the talent, right? Like the Chargers, who only won a handful of games last year, right? Like they are, they got a lot better this offseason. Um, you know, the, Titan, the, the Titans are going to be the Titans. The Jaguars, the, the best thing that the Texans have is they get to play uh, Urban Meyer twice a year. Yep. Like yep. other than that, there's no hope. The Rams got Stafford, right? Like, like the the Colts with the the injury to Wentz is like really kind of the only thing. Um, but like even the Cardinals, who were like a mid range team last year, I think got better this year. So like, dude, well, it is I, rough. I think, 
What I think is interesting with the Cardinals, though, because that for Houston is going to be a huge game. You know, that, that that's the J.J. Watt-DeAndre Hopkins rematch that a lot of people want to see. But what I think is interesting is, is that that could be a decent shot for Houston because if Chandler Jones does hold out, J.J.'s, I, I love him, but his injury history is against him. I mean, there, there's a chance. I'm not saying it's a good chance, but there is a chance that is definitely one of Houston's better opportunities to get a win this year. But either way, that's definitely going to be one to watch. Absolutely. And we have to also remember that as far into the season as that is, because that's one it's week seven, who knows if Chandler Jones is on the team? Exactly. And and again, who knows if JJ is even healthy at that point and that if they're both gone, what's their pass rush looking like? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking at maybe the Cardinals splitting the Jags um, and then, you know, like a fluke, fluke game. Uh, you know they they play the they play the 49ers um and yeah maybe in the bias that I am you know they could be playing the 49ers backups uh, on January 2nd and they could be playing the Titans backups the last game of the season you know especially with a 17 game season I think we might start to see you know teams sitting their players if they're you know locked into a playoff position those that last game so like <laughs> I you know if you if you if you if you get even decent odds on the the Texans with the number one pick next year you should bet on it. Mm. Oh yeah, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that they'll have the number one pick next year. I, I re- the only team I think that could beat them to it. Detroit, D- Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's really their main contender. I also think it's interesting though because like it's a tale of two sides because like I am pretty cynical about this defense like I look across the board and then in like there's just no room for optimism on the even if JJ Watt had come back there's just a dearth of talent there and unless you're like a huge Zach Cunningham guy like a huge Shaq Lawson guy you're like oh man there's no talent there's no pass rush their pass rush was awful last year even with JJ when he was around but like Unless you're like a big Charles Aminahu like guy, like I guess that's the thing. But it's the offense that is intrigued. Like obviously the elephant in the room is the Deshaun stuff, but like that is something we like. There's just nothing else to say about that right now. But the receiver room, I like what Nick Casario has actually done. Like bringing in Mark Ingram, I don't hate. I no. like the the Nico Collins pick. I like Kiki Kute still. Like I think the trade for Anthony Miller was good. Like Collins, Miller, Cooks, Andre Roberts, like Kikuti, like Chris Conley is like your fifth. Like this is actually a pretty strong receiver room. I just the other thing too we haven't even touched on Lovey Smith who got let go from Illinois. He was in over his head, um, didn't win there. The last we saw of him in the NFL, like it was it was atrocious in Tampa Bay. Like it was atrocious, and he got the DC job here under Dave Culley. Like. I am still flabbergasted that this man is coached. Like, he seems like a nice guy. Nothing against Lovey personally, but, like, he should not be coaching defenses anymore, right? Like, is that not terrifying? Like, we laughed about this with um, the dude. Who was it? Mike Nolan from the Cowboys last year. Where I was like, this dude's been out of football for a while. Like, I, I don't know how this is going to work. And he puts together one of the worst defenses of all time, the NFL. Like, I think that is a very real possibility with Lovey Smith. What do you think? I mean, of course it's going to be a concern, and, and you're right. I mean, everybody's been saying pretty much the exact same thing about the, the lack of, of starting quality across most of the defense in particular, also some offensive positions, but mainly the defense. Of course, Lovey is a concern. For me, though, 
and I think for some others that I've spoken to, it's definitely a risk worth taking because people in Houston were so fed up with the Cronell style defense of focus on your job and that's it. You you don't go and make plays. You stick in this position and that's it. You hold off the, the very soft style defense. I get it. They didn't have the one-on-one talent a lot of the time. I understand why they were playing so soft and while they were so far back all the time, giving them so much room. But people were so fed up with that style of defense that and change was needed, not just for the fans' sake, but I think also for the players, because you hear a lot of the players who have stuck around say, last year we weren't good enough. It, it didn't work. That you know they won't go into details about what went wrong because they don't. They, they, whether that's the Texans telling them not to or them just deciding not to, but you hear guys like Justin Reed and Bradley Roby going, you know, there were there were problems last year, and we know that, but. Everyone is pumped about playing under Lovey Smith. All of them have come out and said so. And this and this has been since the beginning. You know, Christian Kirksey, I think it was, came here because of Lovey. And I know Lonnie Johnson was really excited to play under Lovey, having come from the Chicago area. And that's been the theme throughout camp. And the players are loving it. And what I will say is that I do think there are quite a few players on this roster who will benefit from playing in this 4-3, more aggressive Defense guys like Lonnie Johnson, I think, will benefit significantly from it. Charles Amenehue, he's bulked up. I do think he's heading in the right direction. Is he a starter? I don't know about that, perhaps, but I do think he's heading in the right direction. And it's also going to allow guys like Jacob Martin, for example, Jonathan Grenard, who's only in his second year, um, and even possibly Whitney Merciless. It's going to play to their strengths. They were sort of a, a square peg in a round hole in the in the three four defense. This way, they're all probably going to play somewhere around defensive end the majority of the time they're all going to be rushing that's where their strengths lie and there are quite a few others as well who in theory this really should benefit them significantly so i'm perhaps a little more optimistic than most about the defense as a whole don't get me wrong that there's no you know you haven't got any out and out stars like they did a couple of years ago you know you don't have a, a jj or a dj reader or whoever it may be, Kareem Jackson, Tyron Matthew, obviously it's nowhere near that level. But if you compare it to the roster last year, I do think it is more solid across the board. And I do think there is a lot more depth available because that was what really killed them last year was injuries, particularly up front and at cornerback. As soon as they were injured, they were screwed. They had no depth. That's one thing Casario has done, I think, very well. And I think he's done most things very well, to be honest, since he's come in. He has created a lot of depth and a lot of there's a lot of experience to call on. So if you lose, say, a Kirksey, you can call up a, a Grugia Hill or a Pierre Lewis or a Joe Thomas. Are these guys, you know, game changing? No, but they are far more solid than a lot of the options they had last year. I think he's just leveled out the playing field a lot more rather than having one or two really strong players and then a lot of very below average players around them. And I do think it will benefit them. And I think the defense will be slightly improved on last year. It sounds, listening to you kind of go through that, it does sound like if they have the number one overall pick next year, um, they're going to be in a maybe a decent position for a rebuild. Yeah. I mean, what they have done, which I think is quite smart, I mean, they've signed almost, I think at this point in time, there's almost 50 new faces on that roster. I mean, it is a completely different roster from the end of last season. That's going to obviously be difficult for them, but... A lot of these guys are on one, maybe two-year deals. The majority of the players they signed are. So if they don't work out, they can just dump them after next year. If they do, they'll have essentially first refusal on them and they can keep going from there. So I think 
they'll be able to figure out this year who is a fit moving forward, who isn't. They can keep those guys and then build from there as opposed to having to completely rebuild again next season. So I, I think, again, Casario, I, I really do think has done a decent job. I know he wasn't the hire a lot of people wanted, but I, I think he's done well. And like you said earlier with the receivers as well, he's he's come out of that Randall Cobb trade looking golden. I mean, that's exactly what all Texans fans wanted was to get Cobb's deal off the books. So I think he's doing a decent job. Death. Yeah, I, it almost feels like Aaron Rodgers is trying to not only hook up his buddy to give him one last ride, but also sabotage the Packers in the long run by taking that contract. Yeah. The Tennessee Titans, the favorite to win, the overwhelming favorite to win the AFC South this fall. Uh, they are predicted to win nine games per FanDuel. Um, odds make plus minus 160. Uh, I call them the Cowboys of the AFC. Just all kinds of questions with this defense. Uh, they spent a lot of money on Bud Dupree prying him away from Tennessee, or excuse me, from Pittsburgh. And then you look at this offense, and you obviously trade for Julio Jones, Atlanta Falcons legend. But Derrick Henry, I don't think is falling off this year. I still like this offensive line across the board. They lose Johnny Smith to New England, but. Tannehill with this with this scheme they don't hire outside the the Mike Vrabel family right now for OC and DC uh the Titans it's just it's hard for me to see a situation where they don't score enough points even if the defense struggles to run away with the AFC South what say you Evan I mean they're the safe bet right I think that's kind of the thing um I definitely think that they're the safe bet uh, I'm I'm excited about their roster. I'm excited about, um, you know, once again, best friends of Titans fan. Um, I'm excited. You know, I I think I told you this, but I will be going to the 49ers Titans game at the end of the year on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to be a great game. You know, they, they've got they've got a really solid defense. They've got a solid offense. They're one of the few teams that have paid a running back top tier money. And we're like, yeah, I kind of get it, you know. Um, so, I, 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 it's a, it's an underwhelming division, but they're a good team, and and I think with that, we're gonna we're gonna see good football out of them, and and yeah, they, they'll probably have no problem taking the division. Anthony, what do you think? I have my internet disconnected. I am just back for you. you oh, well, it's perfect. Came back at the perfect time, and we're talking about the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> What are your what are your thoughts on their upcoming season and their ability to potentially take over the division? I mean, they certainly have that ability. My concern from Tennessee's point of view is some of their losses. I think my, Kelly at right tackle is going to be a loss. I'm not too keen on Kendall Lamb coming in. Um, I don't think they have a huge amount of depth at receiver. That's a bit of a concern if they have any injuries. Tight end as well, losing Jonu Smith is a concern. Um, defense, though, I mean... They added Autry. They look solid across the board again. Backfield. I don't think they're solid. Bit... So you think they're solid? Like Janoris Jenkins, I like, but like Caleb Farley, he has a bad back, and like no, Bud that, Dupree will help. Yeah, that, that's my concern. Is the is the backfield? That that's my biggest concern. Caleb Farley, Molden isn't quite ready. Uh, I, I'm not too sold on their their free agent signings in the backfield. There, that's my biggest concern from their point of view. Is they could get that they could be exploited. They even have a starting safety right now who um, I'm not doing this just because you are English, Anthony, but 
the last <laughs> name of their starting strong safety right now, Dan Crookshank. Crookshank being Hermione Granger's cat. Cat. <laughs> so now I'm just curious. How would you pronounce Crookshanks? Crookshanks. Oh, incredible. What a great thing. <laughs> that just made my night. Um, that was not planned. That was not planned. No, you're getting... good. You're good. It's all right. But I remember back in, in school, that was everyone just had me quoting Harry Potter all the time. So I'm used to it. <laughs> So wait, I got to ask, I mean, not to di- diverge here, but uh, how did your, uh, where did you grow up? How did the American football get get in uh, contact with you? And then how, did you spend time here before? Why'd you move here? How did all of it work? You should ask so I, I, I grew up, yeah, I grew up primarily in the UK, uh, moved to Holland for a few years. So that was all, it's soccer all the way, both countries. That's just, they, they live and die by soccer in Holland in particular. Um we moved, so my, my dad at the time was working in oil. He got a job offer in Houston when I was, I think, 17-ish. Um, so he took it up. I came over. I left school there, came over here, and, and went to high school for a year, did my senior year, and that's where I met my now wife. Um, that's where, obviously, living in Houston, that was during their, I think, 2 and 14 season, so everyone at school was talking about it. So that's where I sort of got into the Texans mostly. Um, spent a year there. Came back here, uh, came back to the UK, um, went to college and everything, did long distance with my, again, wife now, um, and carried on writing from there. Basically, I, in terms of the sport itself, I was playing soccer throughout my sort of youth, got to about 16, 17. I needed something different to do. Uh, I, friends of mine happened to like American football, so I went and watched a Super Bowl with them and thought, okay, damn, this looks like something. Um Went and found a team nearby, ended up playing for them for a little while, um, then moved to the US, went back to the UK, tried to carry on playing, but I had too many injuries. Um, but the team I tried out for at college happened to have a coach who wrote for a company in London um, about the NFL. So I wanted to keep learning, but I couldn't play. So I thought, well, writing's a good way to do it. Got in touch with him and it sort of went from there and then f- finished uni, moved, moved over here and... Um, yeah, and then just sort of stuck with it from there. Moved, moved to Texans Wire and then SI. Well, can I just say that I am 33 years old, uh, and I have had many, many bad relationships. I've got some pretty bad <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but and, I love this. And, and your ass just had a little summer vacation in Houston and met your <laughs> wife, you bastard. How dare you? That is like... The most absurd luck I have ever heard about. I mean, it's probably meant to be all that. I'm very happy for you. But, like, all the things that you said were, like, supremely interesting. And the only thing I can think about right now is how you're like, yeah, I went to Houston for a year and met my wife. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? No, I mean, I was was incredibly lucky. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Come on. Because it it was, I don't mean to take the romance out of it, but it was a lot of work throughout college. You know, that was what? four years five years i was over there um i only got to see it once or twice a year so it was difficult oh, so it's not all it's not all roses and well things. yeah no absolutely i totally get that well evan i also met uh my long-term partner in tennessee by chance so you know the south maybe that's what you're missing is you're not going to the south <laughs> maybe that's what i mean <laughs> i mean i you know i gotta say i was in dallas for a month nothing happened so well that was during a pandemic I- well, yeah. And, well, first off, Dallas didn't, have, Dallas didn't have a pandemic. It's true. So, but hey, I did break up with my ex in, in Dallas. So maybe like <laughs> all maybe your God exes live to, in Texas. Maybe my my maybe God was trying to like force it. Like he's like, you got to meet. You're in Texas. You got to meet. You know your wife. 
Uh, anyways, thank you for telling me that. That is really that's that is very awesome. I uh, I I love that you that you. What position did you play? Mainly wide out. I was backup QB as well, um, and I loved it. I, I miss playing it every day. But I had I'm epileptic first off, so that became a big issue. Um, mm. But then also I, I kept. I'm sorry if there's anyone squeamish out there. I kept dislocating both my shoulders mm. um, Ooh, after yeah. after a fall. Um, so that was an issue because you know after every second throw, I'd sort of feel feel it go a little bit. So I, I just had to stop. I, I loved it, but I had to stop. It was it was too too painful. But I wanted yeah. to keep learning. I wanted to keep covering the sport. So totally, that makes sense. That's awesome though. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same way a lot of different a lot of times, right? They're like. Well, whether it's coaching or training or something, you're like, I, I'm, I'm not done with the sport even though I can't play anymore. Exactly, exactly. You, you never lose the love for it. Before we get to the Colts, a quick word from today's episode, or today's sponsors, I should probably say, from today's sponsors. All right, we're back. The Colts have a problem they have a question at quarterback because their quarterback is gone uh carson wentz quentin nelson gone the injury bug just talk about bad luck and timing just not great for frank reich out of the gate here in indianapolis um evan your quarterback has already been linked there we talked about nick Foles being the obvious option there with him being the third string in chicago at the moment um Everything about this season comes down to the quarterback position. Like, Philip Rivers is not real that a return, but I'm still not sure that's enough for them to win this division. Um, they paid Darius Leonard this week. Uh, I don't know. This Colts team is probably the hardest to forecast for me in the of the four. Uh, what say you, Evan? I don't think it's very hard for me to forecast. In fact, I've, I've notably loved this roster. I, you know, and it all comes down to Quentin Nelson, but then Quentin Nelson obviously hurts, hurts his foot um, in the same way that Wentz did. So, you know, Quentin Nelson is, to me, one of the most exciting football players I've I've personally watched in the last 15 years or so. I don't, Not to put a number to it, but, like, he's just, to me, like, he is, if you were to just, like, try and explain, like, the essence of what a football player is, I would want them to see Quentin Nelson. Like I would want them to see that that refrigerator of a man, uh, you know, running side to side with the agility of uh, you know of a of a tiger. Um, so I I think with him getting injured, I, I am very much so less interested in in what the Colts do now. But you know, as far as the quarterback, you know, there's really not a lot of good options. You got to know that that the quarterback situation for them is going to be bad when what might seem like the most logical option is for Philip Rivers to come out of retirement and come back and play for this team. You know, obviously, Philip Rivers had a pretty successful statistical season last year, although they did come up short. Um, the Jimmy situation, a lot of people talk about it a lot, but at the end of the day, I think Shanahan knows he's got a Super Bowl roster, and you can't just sell the farm uh, you know, you you can't really sell your safety net, right? Like, if you go with Lance, you have to have a good backup. And the fact that they're genuinely looking at Jimmy, if they are, is because there's not many other good backups or, you know, people to trade for, right? Um, so I, in this situation, like, 
I don't think the 40 there, I, I, I think there's a less than 0% chance that the, the 49ers trade into the Colts. Like it would have to be a first round pick. And I just obviously don't think that's going to happen. And then outside of Jimmy, you know, you, you look around and really like the cupboard is pretty bare. There's not, you know, maybe you look at like Andy Dalton, um, if they really like Justin Fields, uh, maybe the 49ers trade Nate Sudfeld, who's had a fairly good camp, right? Has some starter experience in Philadelphia with the injuries and stuff like that. But I mean, the cupboard is bare. There's not a lot of options. Anthony, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the Colts, I, I do find them a little harder to predict. Um, partially because, obviously, of the Wentz-Nelson situations, but also left tackle is a concern. Now, Eric Fisher's still, I think he's on the PUP list at the moment. Mm-hmm. Castan's obviously retired after that season. So that's your whole left side of the line that's in question coming into the start of the season. That that would obviously is a huge concern. Um, again, depth at receiver isn't their strength necessarily. You know, they, they haven't gotten much out of Paris Campbell. Um, Michael Pittman looks good, but... But that's he needs it. to take a step up this year in terms of production. That's really it at receiver for them. That that's definitely a concern. And then again, just like the Titans, it's that backfield that I'm a little uncertain on. You rock Yasin, I loved him coming out of Temple, but he hasn't hasn't hit the heights that I know a lot of people had expected, and I certainly hoped from him. Um, and just across the board, that there's definitely a couple of question marks back there. Um, I'm excited to see. Quitty pay and see what he can do. I think he's really exciting. I'm really hoping he fills in that role from Justin Houston. Just you know, plug and play and go. But that that backfield again is a bit of a worry. And again, like like you were saying, QB. I mean, can you really even look beyond that at this point in time? Jacob Eason. It seems like I was listening to somebody talk about. I think it was the Robert Mays podcast where they were talking about it uh, last week, and they were like, "Well, by all indication, it's like the Colts are planning on running out this year with." with Carson and like whatever happens happens. And then if whoever the quarterbacks they have don't work, then they'll, they'll adjust and respond accordingly. So I don't think they're going to do like a big, uh, a big swing for the fences um, while Carson's gone. I do think it's interesting though. Like this is just going to be a team. It's just so weird that I love all their backs. Like if Jordan Wilkins is your number four, like you were deep. This is the deepest team in terms of backfield um, on the offensive side of the ball. But like we talked about the receiving course, I just, I don't like it. I don't like the left side of the line. Um, like you mentioned, Anthony, and then the thing about the quarterback stuff, it's like their team is built to hold leads. Like this is a team that you bet on if they're up 17 to 10 in the fourth. I don't know if they're going to be able to score enough to be up in these games to really utilize these, this running game. Like it's going to be fascinating to see if they can still dominate and control the line of scrimmage and play elite defense and run it down teams throats with Hines and Taylor and Mac and company when Jacob Eason or Brett Hundley or Sam Ellinger even is under center for several weeks. Like I'm curious to see how this works because if they can survive with Marcus Brady's offense and seeing if he can do something innovative, cause I'm just, I'm fascinated by what they do here. Um, it's it's going to be a huge re- revelation because they are doing it without a quarterback in a league in a time where that's just unheard of, right? I would say it's unheard of, yeah. Like, it's just weird. They're a weirdly built team. Like, no one else is operating this way. Um, but their win total over-under is 8.5. Are we going over or under with them? 
I'm going under. You're going under. So you're losing season for them. Not I mean, playoff at this, team. At this point, I mean, well, okay, let me, it depends on like Quentin's injury, but like. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's if, bad. I mean, yeah, but he's like, I'll be there week one. And it's like, okay, if you say so. <laughs> Quentin's like, someone give me a knife. I'm going to get in there myself and fix it. Mm. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, like if Quentin's really injured and Wentz is really injured, which it does seem to be the case, like those are huge fucking injuries, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Not looking good. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I'm going to have to go under, especially, I mean, again, if, somehow Nelson and Fisher are good to go week one. It could be a very different story, but as it stands, I'm going to go under. Last team, Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick, drafted his buddy in Travis Etienne. Um, Daryl Bevel will be calling this offense with Brian Schottenheimer, Joe Cullen calling the defense, Urban obviously coming in from college, second best college football coach of all time um but doing some weird stuff already some kooky college to the nfl stuff and then you see cj henderson can be had and you're like what is happening already there Shaquille griffin now there um miles jack still feels like he's been there forever it's only been like five years you have josh allen who's been fine uh clayvon chason was not good and has not been good so that that's been rough as a first rounder from a couple years ago um they're in tier five which I thought was interesting. The same tier as the Falcons defense per PFF, which is not something you ever want to do. Um, seems like a lot of people thought that they reached on Tyson Campbell. Uh, but when you look across the board, like I still like that, like their receiving core. I love it. It's the inverse of the Colts where DJ Shark, Marvin Jones, Lavishka, Chenault. Like that is a, that is a stellar high upside uh, 11 personnel group for Trevor Lawrence to start off with. I'm a big Luke Farrell guy. So we'll, we'll see. Um, what do you what do you think? Because I actually have them because of their offensive talent. I I could see the Jaguars with their projected six and a half win total. That's six and eleven. I'm gonna say under because six and eleven sounds right for them. But I would not be surprised if they they out out project that because of just the pieces they have on offense and who's calling it with Bevel and Schottenheimer. Like I think there's a real possibility this this offense is legitimately good. What do you think, Anthony? I do think the offense has a real shot to be, like you said, legitimately good. Um, I, I think their offense could, in theory, outperform that sort of six and eleven record. Their defense, though, is just—it's it, there's so many question marks. Mm. Um, you, it's a bit like Houston. You, you just don't know what to expect. I remember last year when, when Houston were playing them later in the season, there were so many injuries on that defense. It was so threadbare. And there's a lot of players that have returned from that. So you just you don't know what to expect because you don't really know who's going to suit up, who's going to stay healthy. And like you said, you've got a bunch of guys there who, in theory, you know, drafted high, you look at, and they came out of college with big upsides. They just haven't quite made it. Some have, some haven't. It's it's a big question mark. Their offense is going to have to carry them. I, I love, obviously, I, I love Etienne coming in. Marvin Jones, great. You know, I, I think they've got an exciting offense. Um, you forgot Tim Tebow, though. I'm a bit annoyed about that. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel bad for James Robinson. I will say that. Um, but they've got plenty of talent on offense. It's just a case of how does Urban translate to the NFL, number one. Number two, can this defense find their rhythm and can they find their starters? And that, That's really going to either push them forward or, or hold them way, way back. I mean... Listen, at the end of the day, Carlos... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say that at the end of the day. 
Not funny. Uh, but no, Carlos. I Hyde was waiting for a CJ Beathard thing here. Yeah, Carlos Hyde, CJ Beathard, just full of 49ers legends. Uh, no. Run by just, a 49ers legend, Trent Baalke. Yeah. I personally, you know, when I listen to Anthony talk, he, he's got a lot of good points. And there are some things to like on this team. I'm just so so out on uh, Urban Meyer. And I'm just so painfully out on Trent Baalke for mm. obvious reasons that I just – it's hard for me to not see this. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, we talked about like, you know, the four rookie quarterbacks and there's always at least someone that, uh, you know, kind of fails or whatever. At Um, least one. Right. I just don't have any faith in the Jacksonville Jaguars organization. And I, I didn't before. And then they hired urban Meyer and Trent Baalke. So like, you know, when you have the number one pick in the draft, usually that's like, it's like hope, right? It's it's hope for, you know, like a, that a franchise, even like the Jaguars, can turn it around, right? <clears throat> the way that, you know, the way that a lot of teams have been able to do that with the number one overall pick. I mean, the 49ers taking Nick Bosa with number two overall, right? Like that was a similar thing, right? It's a, it's a, it's a franchise-changing moment. And obviously, uh, Trevor Lawrence is, is one of the best quarterbacks to come out of the draft. In a very long time. I mean, he's considered to be, you know, the most talented prospect since Peyton Manning, since Andrew Luck. Um, it's it's he is a serious pro pro talent, um, and still you're surrounding this guy around people that have done nothing but failed at the NFL level, and I just don't know what the plan is. Uh, I do like, uh, you know, some of the pieces. I love LaVisca Chenault, right? James Robinson is a running back, is, was great. He was incredible last year, so fun to watch. And then Eddian is just a very exciting back, period. So I, I do think that they have some exciting offensive pieces. Um, but, you know, they signed Sidney Jones. He's a decent decent defensive back. He stays healthy. If he, yeah, if he, but, I mean, like, the, the, it's just – they, I don't know. I, it feels like this team, you know, is going to be, people are going to be very happy for them. Well, they won seven games. Good for them. You know, they've got a good, good team to build off of. Right. Like that's just kind of what I expect. Tavon Austin in the wide receiver room too. <laughs> you like is he that? Running back? I don't know. Who knows? Um, yeah, I think they'll be fine. Like, I just think Trevor Lawrence is like bust proof. I really, really believe that in my core. Like, I think it's just impossible. It's kind of like, uh, Sean Watson. Like he, it just, everything about this situation reminds me of early Houston, um, with Deshaun. And it's just going to be like one of those where they're going five and uh, like, they're going 500 or around there for several years. People are frustrated. Like this dude is a top five quarterback in this league. He's still a top five quarterback. He does all the stuff. And then they just, they can't figure out how to put the the elite team around him is still just kind of where i'm at with that but we shall see uh to wrap guys anthony do your one through four evan your one through four and i'll do mine and that's uh that's a one one through four for the south let's have a think i'm gonna go titans colts jags texans okay i think we could just lock that up as what everyone is picking <laughs> that's not what i'm picking of course, you always have to be different. <laughs> so I guess that's what Evan's picking. I'm going to say Titans, Jags, Colts, Texans. 
You think the Jacksonville Jack? I don't think Carson Wentz is playing until like October. I don't think y'all realize how bad Jacob Eason is at football and just how bad he's looked at. Like, I think there's a real chance that just how bad they're going to be offensively, like it, it just won't matter. Okay, okay let me let me do this for you because mm-hmm. you just started this, right? <laughs> we know that uh, Trevor Lawrence, obviously, that's you know number one pick in the draft. That's who they get, right? Let's go ahead and list. He's immediately there. the best quarterback in this division from the get go. From he the get go, first off, no, he's not better than Ryan Tannehill. He is he absolutely better yet. than Ryan Tannehill in year one. He hasn't even played yet. I'm I'm not worried. He is going to be a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill in year one. <sighs> <laughs> and then he's so mad. Yeah, but let me let me throw you a trade on here. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I know you were talking about. I know you were saying there's a zero percent chance that Jimmy G leaves for the Colts, and that there aren't many, you know, reliable backups to bring in. How would you feel if he went to the Colts, and the 49ers brought in Gardner Minshew as backup? I, once again, for me, I, I just it depends on the compensation, and I don't think the compensation is enough to move the needle. I think the 49ers understand something very much and it's shown in camp jimmy has looked very good in camp this year um jimmy garoppolo and i and i've said this on this podcast so many times but i'll say it again jimmy garoppolo went to the super bowl with dante pettis richie james um marquis goodwin who didn't even play uh george kittle who was literally blocking 75 percent of the snaps um because the offensive line was so bad you know and and just a very bad running back room outside of raheem mostert uh, he had a bad offensive team until he got Emmanuel Sanders halfway through the season, right? And he had a pretty decent year, statistically speaking, obviously the pass at the end of the Super Bowl. He's going into this offseason with an incredibly improved offensive line. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle now with an offensive line that he won't have to block for as much. On top of that, they have Raheem Mostert and then drafted Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell, who's a very, very good running back and, you know, Shanahan needs his undrafted free agents. So I think that they look at Jimmy and they go, this guy can go to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl because he had a worse team. He had a worse, absolutely worse offensive team uh, in 2019. They know they have that. Is Gardner Minshew a good backup? Probably, yeah. But if you were to put Gardner Minshew on that 2019 team, do the 49ers come anywhere near a Super Bowl? Mm. That's what I think. That's literally, and I, I mean that's what you have to ask yourself. If you put Gardner Minshew or any any quarterback, whatever it is, and you put them on that team, do they win a Super Bowl? Because Trey Lance, we all knew that he is a very green uh, quarterback who is, you know, he's he's very talented and exciting, but he's going to need some time and he's looked great in camp he's had some off off days in fact the last couple days he's looked a little worse than than the the first week or so but like if you're going that trey lance route if anything goes wrong your your super win your super bowl window is gone i think if you have jimmy garoppolo no matter what no matter what quarterback i think you've got a chance and if trey lance plays and all of a sudden he doesn't have it Jimmy Garoppolo does. He's already shown us it. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, fair enough. 
Anthony, what can we check out from you across uh, the internet this week? Um, I'll be covering everything Texans as per usual with training camp. A uh, couple players I will say to keep an eye on. Nico Collins, as you mentioned, at wideout. Um, Roy Lopez at defensive tackle has been getting a lot more snaps than perhaps would have been expected for a sixth rounder. And um, Brevin Jordan as well, loved him coming out of college. I really do think him and Collins could be absolute steals. So I'll be I'll be covering them as per usual. Um, you might see a little bit of Cowboys out of me here and there, possibly a little bit of Washington out of me here and there as well. But uh, yeah, keep an eye out for everything Texans, if nothing else. Evan? You know me, 49ers Hub is up and running, going strong, writing articles. Uh, it's a fun off-season for the 49ers. Definitely check out uh, all the things that are going on, the, the Lance and the Jimmy battle. Um, you know, all, all the rookies are very exciting this year. It's a, a, lot, a lot of fun stuff going on there. And then you can find me on Twitter on Evan underscore swords. Go do that. You'll like uh, what Tim Kamakami of The Athletic had on the Niners. He was at Niners camp, I think, Saturday. We talked about that. So interesting stuff in San Francisco. Um, well, that's all I've got, guys. Thank you so much for making the time. And Evan, I will talk to you next week. Anthony, thank you so much, sir. Enjoy the rest of Houston training camp as much as you can. Um, <laughs> as much as one can. Have more fun than John McClain's having at the moment, I think, on Twitter. Oh, my gosh. That guy's going through it. But, yeah, <laughs> Anthony, absolute pleasure, man. Cheers. Absolutely. No, absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. And uh, go and try milk and your tea. I promise you won't regret it. Absolutely not happening. It was decided. The Americans won that one. Uh, that's it. 1776. Let's go. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, If you guys listen to this episode on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you could leave the show a five-star rating and a review. Um, It helps more than you know. Tell a friend, all that good stuff. The Chase Thomas Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Also, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com to read all my work every day. sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com and uh, follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. Uh, please like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Uh, you can email me, don't forget, at Chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com with any questions, mailbag stuff, all that great uh, content. And whatever you have questions about, just uh, email me, Chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. Uh, new episodes every day. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.